Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We continue our study through the New Testament, the pastoral epistles. Now, in these studies, not just the letters of Paul to the church, but the letters of Paul to the pastors, you may think, you may have a thought in your mind that, you know, Paul is such a hardliner. Uh, but when you read his letters and you see his works, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts. And when you see the, the steps of his feet and the works of his hands and what he says to saints and what he says to the church in his letters, and you understand the scriptures and you understand formula, where is he wrong? I mean, let's be straight up. Where is he wrong? He's just being obedient to the Lord. He's being obedient to Jesus. He's the one, Jesus. He's the one who called Paul into the ministry. Remember in our study in 1 Timothy, how you know, the, the, Paul is writing to Timothy and says, listen, it's, it's the Lord who, this is the Lord's doing. It's the Lord who wanted me to uh, serve him in this capacity. And when we understand, you and me both, we're in the same boat. When we understand that there is a biblical standard, Genesis to Revelation, there is a biblical standard. You know, it put things, it, it puts things in perspective. Understand for Paul, when he's writing this letter to, to young Pastor Timothy, the saints are leaving Paul. Pastors, elders, the saints in Asia, they're leaving Paul. And there's no fault with Paul. Biblically, there's no fault with Paul. And when we understand that, we also see something else. That the problem isn't with Paul at all. The problem is with the saints. Now, if the issue is with the saints, I have a question. Who in the world is teaching them? Who in the world do they call pastor? Who in the world do they call elder? I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you reflect back and you remember our study through the Corinthian letters, Galatians, who in the world were their pastors? Why is it that the church got to that state of decay? And remember, if you recall those studies, I have a love-hate relationship with the Corinthian letters. And the Corinthian church, a love-hate relationship. The saints, I love them. The remnant, I love them. But it's like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? How is it that these works of the flesh how is it that they came inside the church? And then it, when you recall our studies, making the distinction between the churches and you see like in Philippians, when you get into certain churches, you see a level of maturity that is unfound in Corinth, unfound in Galatia. I mean, you can't compare the Philippian saints to uh, 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 Corinthians. You make that comparison, it's like, whoa, these guys are mature, the Philippian saints, and praise be to the Lord. But at the same time, it's like, wait a second, how is it that this happened? How is it that this, this carnality, how is it that it crept inside the church? I don't blame the pews. I don't blame the field. I don't blame the building. But 
I blame the workers. Pastors, elders, I look at the pulpit. Where does this get, guy get off teaching these things? Where does this lady get off teaching these things? Now you say, wait a second, I thought pastors were supposed to be male. There you go. You're right. The Bible says pastors are supposed to be male. So why is it that you have, you know, uh, uh, a lady pastor here, lady pastor there? Why? That's not the formula. Now, if you're female, I love you. My beautiful sister in Christ, I love you. This isn't in any way to say like, hey, you know, get in your place. If you're listening for the first time, listen to our introduction to the pastoral epistles because there's a hardcore exhortation to my beautiful sisters in Christ. It's, <clears throat> it's in no way... To say, you know, hey, get in your place, you know, like, you know, in a chauvinistic manner. But it is to say that coverings in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, are always, always, always male. Always male. Never do you see female covering on a church. Never. You see it in a family, in a home. Female covering on children. You know, which the female covering also has a covering, which is husband. Husband also has a covering, which is the greater husband, which is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is also the covering of the church, the covering unto pastors, the covering unto the flock, his flock. And he is male. Coverings in the Bible, always male. So when we understand that there is a biblical standard to righteousness, Genesis to Revelation. And when you and me together, we don't just have that understanding, but we also have the understanding that you and me together, we must yield to the word of God. We must yield to the spirit of the Lord, which helps us yield to the word of God. Now, another spirit won't do that. Another spirit will help yield to uh, other doctrines, but that's not the spirit of the Lord. You see, remember when Paul says, you know, I'm afraid for you to the Corinthian saints. I'm afraid for you because these preacher guys are going to come in and they're going to bring another gospel, another Jesus and another spirit. And you might well put up with them. That's what his fear is. He, his phobia is how it translates in the Greek. His phobia, Paul is open and honest about his phobia unto the saints. And you know what it is? That they, the saints, the church, are going to put up with the pseudodelphos, the false brethren, the fake brothers. They're going to put up with the false teachers, the false prophets, the fake pastors who come in with another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit. You see, it's the spirit of the Lord that helps the spirit of the Lord, the real spirit of the Lord, that helps you and me yield to the word of God. Unadulterated word of God. Genesis to Revelation. The word became flesh. Jesus Christ, remember one of the signs of the last days is many, 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 many Christs. Many. How will we know the real one? How will we know the real one? Well, the Bible says his word is above his name. That's how we'll know. I mean, you know, picture a whole bunch of Jesus, you know, like, you know, say there's a thousand. They all look the same. They dress the same. They have the same haircut. They have the same everything. They look exactly the same. How will you and me know the real one that we can bow down to and call Lord? Because 
they all look the same and a lot of people bow down to whoever they want, the one closest to them. They say, okay, I don't want to walk too far. So there's a little, you know, the path of least resistance. So I'm going to bow down to this one. But the Bible says his word is above his name. And that's how we'll know. Because another Jesus will say, hey, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. And so will his servants. But that's demonic. That's satanic. You see? A fake Jesus. A fake Jesus will say, hey, everybody, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay in the grave so you can soak up the spirit. You see? Now, a false spirit, a fake spirit will help a person yield to that Jesus. And that Jesus also has servants. And those servants will say, hey, everybody, let's do this. But it's satanic. Because the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, says, don't you dare do that. That's necromancy. The real Jesus, the word became flesh, whose word is above his name, says, don't you dare take the mark of the beast. You see? And when you and me understand that there is a biblical state, you might be like, well, wait, you're such a hardliner. How, how is it a, how is it being a hardliner when we understand that that is the biblical standard? That there is a biblical standard. How is it that that is considered to be a hardliner when understanding the, the, the framework of the last days, the framework of multiple Christs, the framework of multiple false teachers, the framework of uh, uh, multiple spirits. And I say multiple, but you know, myriad. How is it, how is it a hardliner? You see? And understand that these letters to Timothy they're pastoral epistles, pastoral letters, one-on-one, Paul to Timothy. And Paul and Timothy, they are not like the average bear, not like the average bear. Remember our study in the book of Acts when everybody was saying to Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. Apostles, people who had the, the gifts of the Spirit, Christian saints. And what were the red letters saying to Paul? Paul, chains and tribulations await you. And Paul went to Jerusalem, not heeding the counsel of other apostles, not heeding the counsel of prophets. Now, it's not to suggest that those saints are not walking with the Lord. It's not to say that Paul is better than those saints, but there is something different about him. There is something different about him. You see? And how the Lord works in Paul is the manner in which he works with Paul. How Paul works with Peter, Priscilla, Aquila, Lydia, Phoebe, Chloe, Timothy, Titus. Remember when, you know, when Peter says, well, you know, Lord, what about this guy? And the Lord, I'm paraphrasing, but the Lord says, what do you care? I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, why why is that a matter to you, Peter? What I do with that guy, that's between him and me. What I do with you, that's between me and you. 
Now, it's not to suggest that the apostles and other Christians and, you know, prophets and, 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 and saints who had gifts of the Spirit, it's not to say that they were less than Paul. But understand, we make this distinction that Paul is not like the average bear. He's just different. They were saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. And the Spirit of the Lord was saying, Paul, go. You see? What if Paul heeded the counsel? What if Paul heeded the counsel of those Christians? You see, he didn't. Him and the Lord. And that's what I love so much about intimacy with the Lord. My intimacy with the Lord, your intimacy with the Lord, our intimacy with the Lord, because that's how he works. He works in a church body, the Spirit of the Lord, but at the same time, individually. You see, and last week in our study in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we looked at false teachers and the defunct. And now in chapter 3, now we look at the result, the fruit of it. Bad fruit, the impact to the pew, the impact to the field, the impact to the building. Remember, this is a one-on-one letter. Paul to Timothy. And, you know, Paul's not like the average bear. Timothy was in a very, very small bubble. There was the big bubble that Paul had, which was like, you know, the church and saints and Christians. And, you know, praise be to the Lord. It's beautiful. And there's a smaller bubble within that bubble, which is, you know, ministry leaders. But then there's a ultra, ultra small bubble, which is the next generation of pastors. Timothy was in that bubble. Titus was in that bubble. You see? These guys, Paul and Timothy, they are not like the average bear. I mean, you take like, you take training, you know, just like academically speaking, you take training, you know, academically speaking, you have like, you know, run-of-the-mill academia, but then there's some schools where it's like, okay, that's hardcore, You look at, you know, certain other types of academies, certain types of, you know, military environments, certain types of, you know, there's certain echelons of types of uh, uh, disciplines. Some are more hardcore than others. Well, when we look at Paul, who's not like the average bear, and as evidence in our studies in the book of Acts, when everybody was saying, Paul, don't go, saints, Christians, beautiful Men and women of the Lord. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And it was the Spirit of the Lord who was saying, Paul, chains and tribulations await you. Go to Jerusalem. And when Paul was in Jerusalem, who was with him? The Lord. The Lord. Remember the red letters in the book of Acts? And that's the guy. No disrespect to Paul by saying that's the guy, but, you know, he is male. He is a guy. That's the guy who we're talking about. He's the one who wrote this letter. To another guy, you know, no disrespect to beautiful Timothy. I'm in love with him. But he is male. He is a guy. Paul, that's the guy who's writing to Timothy, a young man. Young pastor. And Paul says this in verse 1, But know this. Remember, we're looking at the 
the fruit. Last week, we looked at the false teachers in chapter two and chapter three. Now we're looking at the result. Now, this is almost like a refresher course. It's a little bit deeper, but it's almost like a refresher course because we see the fruit of bad teachers in the Corinthian letters. The defunct. How many times do they say defunct? You know, defunct, 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 defunct. It's like, well, you know, how, is this guy going to stop saying that word? Well, no, I'm not. Because we make the distinction between, you know, what is defunct and what is true. You see, what is defunct and what is hardcore? We make that distinction because under the defunct, it comes at a very heavy price to the saints, to families, to the church. It comes at a very heavy price. So in our Corinthian letters, we make a distinction between the defunct. In the Galatian letters, look at the defunct. And so now, I mean, we, we've seen the fruit of it there in those studies and in other passages too. But here, now it goes a little bit deeper. And remember, Paul is pouring into the next generation of pastors. I mean, it's one-on-one, the next generation of pastor. Paul to Timothy. Praise be to the Lord. The Lord leaked this letter so that we can know who is it that we submit to. Because just as, you know, there's, you know, you take a lineup of a thousand Christs and each Christ has, say, 10 pastors. So you take a thousand Christs and each Christ has 10 pastors. Now, I'm terrible at math, but that's like, you know, a whole lot of pastors. How will you know? How will we know which pastor can we submit to that will help us grow more intimacy with the real Christ, the real Jesus? I mean, if there's a thousand Christs and each Christ has 10 pastors, which, you know, I'm terrible at math, but that's a whole lot, a whole lot of pastors. How will we know which pastors to submit ourselves to? Because in that midst of a whole bunch of pastors, there's 10 who are faithful. You see, one's in New York, one's in Brazil, one's in Paris, one's in, you know, Hong Kong, one's in Dubai, one's in, you know, all over the world. How will we know? A whole lot of pastors. How will we know this guy, we, you and me together, we can submit ourselves to this guy because he watches out for our souls. And the Lord, he is charged by the Lord to get us to paradise. (laughs) That's his calling unto the Lord. The Lord says, hey, this guy, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to teach the Bible. You're going to teach my word. Just as his eyes are on men and women in the Old Testament, New Testament, just as his eyes, look, look at who he has to, to, to work with. He's got elders, he's got priests, he's, I mean, in, our, in, our, in like Old Testament, it just so happens we mentioned this on Wednesday. But look at, he's got the priesthood, he's got the elders, he's got the, uh, uh, the Levitical priesthood, he has the Kohanim, but he bypasses them. Ezekiel, you're my guy. Jeremiah, you're my guy. Amos, you're my guy. You see? Esther, you're my gal. Ruth, you're my gal. Hannah, you're my gal. You see? 
That's what's all with everything he has to work with. But does he work with everybody? No. I mean, in some cases, I mean, when under Joshua, under under Joshua, under the uh, uh, under the elders, yes, he works in and through everybody. But remember, Achan's been taking care of him, and if you've been walking with us for a while, you 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 know our study in the book of in, in, in the book of uh, uh, Joshua. And you know, because with Achan, there were there was casualties. Now, if you're listening, and make sure you listen to our study through Joshua seven, you'll understand more. But when Achan's taken care of, yes, he works with everybody. But it's under the leadership of Joshua and the elders. You see, leadership matters. So you take that lineup, each a, a thousand Christs, and in that midst of a thousand Christs, one is the real Christ, the real Jesus, that you and me can bow down to and worship. The others are idols where you and me, nobody should ever bow down and worship. And each Christ has 10 uh, uh, pastors, each Christ. How in the world will we know? How in the world will we know? Number one, which Christ is the real Christ, but then number two, which pastor can you and me submit to that will help us grow in the real Christ, that will help us understand the real Christ, that will help us mature in the real Christ? Where? You see? And of these 10 faithful men, called to be pastors and teachers. One's in New York, one's in Paris, one's in Dubai. They're all, they're, 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 they're out there. But the vast majority in the last days, it's one of the signs of the last days. I mean, you look at the majority of the church today. I mean, you look, you look at Revelation chapter two and three. Seven churches, two, there's not the word repentance. Philadelphia and Smyrna, the majority, five, they're told to repent. You see? And here in verse one, Paul, who says to Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, translates in the Greek as the final space of time. I mean, it's eschatos in the Greek, eschatos, where we get the word eschatology. Sometimes, you know, people say eschatology, eschatology, because they want to sound smart, you know. You know, they, they use all these, you know, big words, eschatology, dispensation. And when you're talking to young Christians, they're like, what? What's eschatology? I mean, like, if you're a baby Christian, like you're a fresh, brand new baby in Christ, praise be to the Lord. But... Most Christians, when they're babies, they don't speak this language. They don't know what eschatology means. They don't know what dispensation means. At least I didn't. <laughs> when I came to Christ, I didn't know. But sometimes you you hear these people and they use all these words. Oh, the study of eschatology and you know in this dispensation and that dispensation and they use all these words and it's like okay, come on, let's just boil it. Let's just speak English, okay? Or I meant, you know, let's speak in, you know, common language. You might be listening and you speak, you know, Arabic or Chinese or Russian. So I speak, teach from America, so I speak English. But just speak to the people. The word of God is not difficult. It's spiritually discerned. There's a special 
key. The Lord knows this guy, his heart is right. This guy has a noble heart. He doesn't know me, but his heart is, is, is noble. This lady, she doesn't know me, but her heart is noble. And then all of a sudden the seed goes in and then boom, wow, she knows the Lord. Wow, he knows the Lord. And when that, that there's the, the knowing the Lord, now there's the knowing of, oh my goodness, I've sinned to the Lord. I am guilty of sin. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, that compunction that we studied last week, you know, you know, there's that compunction where it's like, you know, okay, you know, I believe that the Lord is who he says he is and I'm in trouble because I have sinned. And then there's that compunction that says, what do I need to do? I need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, and the Lord, no, the Lord sees this. Now, man, you and me, we can't see this. We can see the fruit of it. But this, this is an area that the Lord goes into. The spirit of the Lord. Formula is very, very important. Formula, formula, formula. Old Testament, New Testament formula is very important. Because, I mean, look at the priests in the Old Testament. Look at Eli in the Old Testament. He was a high priest. Now, he had the name tag, high priest. He had the high priest parking spot. He had the high priest everything. He had the high priest guard. He had the high priest everything. It's like, okay, this guy is the high priest. And Torah says that the Lord will speak to him. But when you read the Bible, you know what? The Lord doesn't speak to him. You see? Because the Lord knows the heart. The Lord knew the heart of Eli. Now, you and me, we don't know the heart of Eli. But when we read the account, we can see the fruit of Eli. We can see the fruit of his wickedness. We can see the fruit of it in his life, in the life of his kids. We can see the fruit, but we don't know the heart of Eli. But the Lord knew. And the Lord didn't speak to Eli. When Torah says that the Lord will speak to the high priest. But the Lord didn't do that with Eli. Why? You and me, we can see the fruit. When we read the account, we see the fruit of Eli. And we realize, wow, this guy's kind of a, a messed up dad, you know, to his kids. This guy's kind of a messed up priest. I don't, I don't say that with disrespect. I mean, if you're, you know, rabbinical and you're listening, no disrespect. But I mean, you know, proof is in the pudding. He was. The formula wasn't right in him. It's not to say that the Lord was incapable of speaking to him per se. And it's not the Lord's fault. It's, it's Eli. He made his choice. We see the fruit of his wickedness, the fruit of his error. But we don't see his heart. The Lord saw it. The Lord saw it. And... The Lord spoke to Samuel. Little Samuel. The Lord spoke to beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Samuel. Son of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Hannah. I'm so in love with Hannah and Samuel. And the Lord didn't speak to Eli, the high priest. When he said, I will speak to the high priest. But he doesn't do that. He spoke to Samuel, the prophet. I mean, he wasn't called to, he, he wasn't a prophet at that time as a young kid, but 
good golly, his mom really greased those kids to prepare him for future works unto the Lord. Powerful. But it's the same thing. You know, the Lord never changes. That's what the Bible says. The Lord never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Sometimes Christians, oh, I don't like reading the Old Testament. It's too mean, too much judgment. Well, we're under this bubble of the church age where, you know, judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming onto the world. But God's judgment before it comes to the world, it's coming to the church. That's what the Bible says. Christians today, oh, I don't like reading the Old Testament. It's too mean. It's too judgmental. Too much wrath. And, you know, there's, you know, hellfire and this and, you know, Sodom, Gomorrah. It's like, I, I don't like that. You know, I like the I like the good side. I, so I just stick to the New Testament. Sometimes if I go in the Old Testament, I'll read, you know, the good things, good things that I like. But I don't read like the, the scary stuff. Because what happens is that in the church age, we get accustomed to this dispensation we'll say or this bubble of time this frame of time where it's like okay this is how it's going to be forever but no that's not what the bible says the bible says that the door of grace it's already closing it's not going to be open forever just like in the case of Canaan and Ai and, you know, all these peoples when Israel enters the promised land. It's a time of judgment, a time of wrath, a time of destruction. But for 40 years prior, the door was open. You see, it's the exact same thing. God's judgment is coming. And for 2000 years, the door has been open, give or take a couple years. The door has been open. But in the last days, the final stage of time, the eschatos. Now, understand that, you know, we're still in verse 1, but, you know, there are other passages which indicate the timing of the season. But today, today, this has never happened before. Today, we live in a time of convergence. It's never before been seen in the history of man never i mean like in the 90s you know there were a little bit of prophecy here a little bit of prophecy there i mean even you know when israel became a nation in you know 1948 you see like the certain okay prophetic fulfillment but today i mean if we had a checklist of which is vast but if we had a checklist of you know all the if it was 1900 say it's 1899 1899 and we have a checklist of like okay what are the prophecies of the last days and we had a checklist well 1899 there wouldn't be a lot of check marks wouldn't be a lot of check marks in 1899 1948 check mark you know the 70s the 60s the 70s check mark the 80s 90s check mark you know 2000 2010 2020 and Boom, we have check mark after 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 check mark. This has never be before happened. We're living in a time of convergence, which means what? The Lord's coming is near. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. Now, I do not teach a pre tribulation rapture. I mean, 
The number one reason is because it's not in the Bible. And if you're listening and you're pre-tribulation, I love you. Sometimes, you know, you see people that get into huge, huge, huge battles. And I've had Christians call me satanic, a servant of Satan and all, you know, oh, you're evil, you're demonic and all. Yeah, you're a false teacher. And they say all kinds of things. You know, I'm demonic and I'm of the devil and all these things. But show me. Show me where pre-tribulation rapture is is biblical. It isn't. Now, if you're listening and you're pre-trib, I love you. But go to the website, thewayunderground.com, and you'll understand more about the pre- We have studies there where you can learn about the, the rapture, Jacob, the timing of Jacob's trouble. You can learn about Jacob's trouble, but it's biblically explained, not in accordance to what is taught in seminary, not in accordance to what is taught in uh, theology school, but it's in accordance to what is taught in the Bible. Some hardcore studies through the Thessalonian letters. Very sobering studies through the Thessalonian letters. But go, it's there. The resources are there. Never before have we lived in a time where there's a convergence. Never. Multiple prophecies upon prophecies upon prophecies. And this is what Paul is talking about to young Pastor Timothy. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I don't want to gloss over perilous times because it's a big deal. Kalepos in the Greek. Perilous times. Kalepos in the Greek, which is this. It's a chasm that is let down or lowered that will be fierce, perilous, dangerous, and will reduce strength. Not reduce in strength, but will reduce strength. Like say, for example, like, you know, you and me, we can bench press, you know, a thousand pounds. We're like super strong. And then all of a sudden this chasm comes down and we can't even bench press five pounds. It will reduce strength. Not not the chasm will reduce in strength, but the chasm itself will reduce strength. Where you and me, we can bench a thousand pounds. We're like huge. But then at the same time, you know, the chasm falls down. It's like, wow, we can't even bench five pounds. You you, you know, you have to spot me for three pounds. I have to spot you for two pounds. (laughs) No, four pounds. So it's, it's like that, this chasm. And it's in great difficulties. And that's how this word translates. Perilous times, kalepos. It's this chasm that will come down upon the earth. It will absolutely be perilous and dangerous. And men, women will reduce in strength. You see? Now, the vast majority of Christians, vast, vast, mass, vast majority, we always think of external threats. In the last days, when we look at the last days, we always think of external threats. Okay, the Antichrist is going to be like this. And, you know, this is what the world is going to look like. And they're going to come against us. And then it's going to get to the point where, you know, the Antichrist, under the leadership of the Antichrist, the world's going to kill the Jews. And then they're going to turn and turn to kill the Christians. And, you know, yes, it will be perilous times. And, you know, there's going to be these famines and diseases and earthquakes and diverse places and all. We always look at the external threats, which is very valid. Not to say that that's a bad thing. Very valid. Very real threats. But what about the threats within? 
What about the threats within? Within the camp, yes. But even deeper, within oneself, within each individual Christian, within each individual saint. Remember, prophetically speaking, we're moving closer and closer and closer to a time when Jesus, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, says no flesh will be saved. Even the elect, no flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days were shortened. That's what the Lord says. Now, it just so happens we, we made a comment about this last week. Remember the 10-year warehouse? So we're in a warehouse where we have a thousand Christians and we know on day one that there's a thousand Christians and we know that in 10 years, now I know the span of, you know, the 70th week of Daniel is seven years, but, you know, just in this example, we know that 10 years from this point, there will be zero Christians in that warehouse. But then the Lord says, unless those days be shortened. So now it's nine years. Now, after nine years, we're not going to have a thousand Christians in that warehouse. But we're not going to have zero. What we will find only is the remnant. The rest will have walked away. You see, the rest will have fallen away. The rest will have turned to apostasy. The rest will have become apostate. You see, how does that happen? Remember the teachers? Remember the pastor's example? You have a thousand Christs and each Christ has 10 pastors. Who is it that they listen to? Who is it that they yield to? And remember, another sign of the last days is that everybody will be offended. That's one of the signs of the last days. Everybody will be offended and will betray one another. You see? And we're living in a time where, surprise, everybody's offended. And with pastors on every street corner, you could have a pastor say, hey, you know, don't tell your kids to, you know, uh, have sex. You know, you have a kid who's 15 years old and you in, in, invite the harlot into your home and say, yeah, go ahead and have sex. And then the kids do the sex and it's like, you know, the pastor says something about it and you're like, oh, this pastor's so mean. He's so mean spirited. He's mean to me. Look, he hurt my little feelers. So what if my son has sex with all these girls? So what if my daughters have sex with all these girls? Listen, that's my house. Oh, he causes division, all these things. I'm going to go to this guy over here who will whisper sweet nothings into my ear. Make me feel good about myself. Remember, there's pastors on every street. In that example, a thousand Christ and each Christ has 10 pastors. There's a whole lot of pastors to choose from. You see, oh, I'll just go to this pastor. He won't say anything about that. My kids can do the sex. You know, my I can do my drugs. I can do my crack. I can, you know, drink my alcohol. Get drunk every night. Take the edge off. Mix my little drinks. Kids can do their sex. Do whatever. And I won't feel the conviction because you know what? I just want to feel good about myself. Listen, there's, there's, there's pastors in every corner. You can have that. You can have that. You, any, 
any single one of us, we can have that. We can say, okay, I want to feel good about myself. I want to do my sex, my drugs, my rock and roll, the whole nine yards, and I want to feel good about it. And I want to call myself a Christian. Listen, there's there's a past, there's a there's pastors out there that will they'll accommodate. But it's another Christ. It's not the biblical Jesus. You see? Oh, you're such a hardliner. You're such a hard. How? Show me. How? Show me in the Bible. How? I mean, I know you can show me with, you know, New York Times bestsellers. I know you can show me through, you know, all these other writings. I know you can show me with, you know, certain TV programs and, you know, ministry programs. You know, you can show me that, but show me in the Bible. You see? Remember, the saints are leaving Paul. Think of all the, all the pastors and teachers and elders that led them to that point. That they yielded to. Oh, Paul's such a hardliner. Look, he's in jail. He's going to have his head cut off. And, you know, look, he's done. He's done. And you know what? Good riddance. Because every time I would hear him, I'd always feel like dirt. I'd always feel like, man, something was, well, what if that wasn't Paul at all? What if it was the spirit of the Lord that says, hey, you're dirty. You see, you're dirty before the Lord. I remember listening to a pat when I was like, you know, wishy-washy Christian. This is like 25 years ago. I was wishy-washy and I was so mad at the pastor. I thought, you know, I hate this. You know, I come to church and I feel like dirt. And then, you know, one day he's like, okay, open up your Bible, open up to here. And I opened up to there, you know, it took me a while to find it. And then I had my finger with every word that he said, I had my finger following. I, I never looked up at him. I had my finger and, you know, I was following along with every word. And then, you know, he would stop and, you know, kind of expound on certain things. And then I would look up and, you know, he would say something and then he would look down and continue reading. And then I looked down, my finger didn't move. And then he would look down and continue reading and, you know, and you know, I he he would always mention, you know, that that there was teaching from the New King James. So I had a New King James Bible because I wanted to make sure, like you know, like what is he saying? Why is it that that he's saying these things? And then something happened. I realized my problem isn't with this guy at all. My problem is not with that guy. My problem is with the Bible. My problem. Is with God. And then I realized, you know what? I felt like dirt for a reason. Because I was dirty before the Lord. I was filthy before the Lord. And then the pastor would say, repent. And that's what I did. Repented. You know what's so beautiful? If you have passages in the Bible where you feel like dirt, you know, yes, I know it, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, it it hurts. I'm not going to like, you know, gloss over it and say like, oh, okay, it feels good. No, it hurts. But if you have a journal or like, you know, like memory points, you know, sometimes, you know, there's people who have like, you know, insane memories where they just remember certain things. But if you don't have that, you know, get a journal and write down passages where you feel like a dirt bag. You just feel like total dirt, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Just jot the verse down. 
and then repent. Remember, you know, people say, oh, I have no, I have no process in sanctification. It's all the Lord. Well, remember, you're not the soap. You're not the water. You're not the shampoo. But you and me, we got to get in the shower. We got to, you know, every single person has to do that. We're not the soap. We're not the shower. We're not the, we're not the soap. We're not the water. We're not the shampoo. But every single one of us has to get in the shower. You see? Sometimes, you know, oh, I have no part in sanctification, so it just happens, you know, it just, it just, it just happens. The Lord just does it by His Spirit. No, in the Bible, the Lord is pleased with the acknowledgement of sin. He is pleased in the acknowledgement of sin. That's what the Bible says. Because with the acknowledgement of sin, there's the realization of, oh my goodness, I'm a dirtbag. I'm, I'm dirty before the Lord. And then the Lord, Old Testament, New Testament, in accordance to those covenants and the rules of those covenants, has the means by which a person can get clean. How does that happen? As New Covenant believers, we got to jump in the shower. You see? Metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking, but that's what happens. That's what happens. And so that's how, when I was, you know, 25 years ago, I'm sitting in the pews and I felt like a dirtbag. And then I realized like, oh my goodness, you know, I thought this guy was so mean. He was such a hardliner and all these things. And I realized my problem's not with this guy. He's just teaching with the Bible. That's it. I mean, there's really nothing fancy about it. He's just teaching the Bible. I mean, you know, no disrespect to him, but I mean, like teaching and expounding the word so that I can understand and the people listening can understand and praise be to the Lord. And then I realized like, wow, like I'm dirty. And I repented and then I was clean. And, you know, if, if you, when you have those passages where you feel like dirt, have a little journal down. Or just remember it, you know, make that like a, have like a certain color pen or a certain type of squiggly line and just like underline it or whatever. So, you know, like, wow, I feel like a dirt here. And you might even want to write the date, the day you feel like dirt. Because as you mature, as you grow, those very verses where you felt like dirt before, you're not going to feel like dirt again. I mean, if you don't repent and you play games with the Lord and, you know, you, 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 you walk according to the flesh, you know, you're going to feel like dirt and you're always going to feel like dirt. But if you repent and you learn and, you know, you learn to walk according to the spirit, you don't mess around with those things anymore. Now, those very verses aren't going to make you feel like dirt anymore. And then you, when you open up your journal and you read like, you know, the dirtbag journal and you open up the dirtbag journal and you realize like, wow, all these verses, you're going to rejoice in the Lord. You're going to rejoice in the Lord. And I tell you from experience. And you're going to see with eyes to see, you're going to see the handiwork of the Lord inside of yourself. The handiwork of the Lord and you'll rejoice all the more. And taste and see that the Lord is good. But nobody does that these days. Nobody does that. 
They want to go to church and feel good about themselves. They do the sex. They do the drugs. They do the rock and roll. They do the gambling. They do the strippers. They do the Mary. They do the Buddha. They do the occult. They do all these things. And they want to go to church and feel like a million bucks. That's not going to happen. That's only going to happen with the Pseudodelphos and the false teachers in accordance to the other Jesus, other spirit, other gospel. But the real Jesus whose word is above his name and his faithful shepherds, no, that will not happen. You're not going to feel good about it. Because you're not right before the Lord. It's not clean before the Lord. You see? And whenever you come across a passage in the Bible where you feel like they're, just repent. You read a passage like, oh my goodness, Lord, Lord, like, you know, like I have my preconceived idea about XYZ, but I read this in your word and XYZ, you have something to say about it. And the Spirit of the Lord will help you yield to the word of the Lord. And in so doing, you and me together, we repent and we yield ourselves to the word of God. Now, in yielding to the word of God, you know what that is? That's abiding in Christ. Remember, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. But nobody does that anymore. Nobody does that. If you do that, You're, you're going to be, you know, don't expect to fit in with the crowd. <laughs> don't expect to fit in. I mean, in the world, don't expect to fit in the world. Don't expect to fit in in the church. Because it's a rarity. Another sign of the last days. In these perilous times. You know, remember, we're moving forward to a time when Jesus says, no flesh will be saved. Even the elect, unless those days be shortened. You see, just like the warehouse example, you know, 10 years, you know, a, 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 a thousand saints in a big warehouse and 10 years, it's going to be zero saints in the warehouse. So we're not at the 10 year mark. We're at the nine year mark because the Lord shortened the day. So we're at the nine year mark and, you know, it's, it's not a thousand, maybe 50. We'll say 50. At the nine year mark, there's 50. What happened to the extra 950? I'm terrible in math, but I'm pretty sure it's 950. What happened to that other 950? They walked away. Apostasy. They became apostate. Why? Defunct pastor, defunct elder, poor leadership. They had leadership, absolutely, but leadership unto the other Christs, not the real Christ. The 50 in the warehouse, those were led by faithful shepherds. You see? Look what happens in perilous times that will be let down and lowered. Kalepos, remember in the Greek. And Paul says that perilous times not might come. They will come. In verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. You know, we live in the selfie generation. Men are lovers of themselves. Women are lovers of themselves. Boys are lovers of themselves. Girls are lovers of themselves. Have you ever seen somebody, you know, they, you see a selfie and it's like, wow, you know, everybody says, wow, this guy's so handsome. This lady's so pretty. It's like, okay, that's picture number one. But you don't see the, you know, a, a, a thousand pictures where she looks like a foot. You don't see the, you know, 2,000 pictures where the guy looks like a foot. 
you see this one and every oh he's so handsome she's so pretty you look at you know you look at the camera roll it's like you know you don't see that but we live in a selfie generation Look at me, look at me, look how awesome I am. Selfie generation. Oh, look at my selfie. They do, they have the, you know, every single picture looks the same. They have their special selfie pose. The selfie generation. Look at me, look at me, look at me. They have the, you know, uh, the, like, uh, people that you can pay and they have like a, it's like a studio, you know, the green screen and everything. So you can look like you're on a nice fancy vacation. It's like you go to a studio, you're in a, like at a studio and they have the, the green screen and look, you're in, uh, Barbados when really they're in Jersey, you know, like, oh, look, the guy's in, you know, Bora Bora when in reality it's green screen. It looks like Bora Bora. They take the selfie. Everybody's like, wow, look, first class to Bora Bora, all these things. Really the guy's in a warehouse in Jersey. Selfie generation. Men will be lovers of themselves. Now, we're just the first one. I mean, Paul says, you know, perilous times will come. In verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves. You stop right there. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, okay, that's kind of a red flag for today's generation. Because like, you know, today, men, women, boys, girls, young, old, lovers of themselves. Even old people. Because they have the influencers. You see old people, you think old people are like a, you know, like a, 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 a bulwark of a standard, you know, but that's not the case anymore. The old people, they're influenced by the younger generation as well. You see, you ever see like old people and they dress, try to dress like they're 20 years old? It's like, wow, this guy, this guy's, you know, a freak show. He's like 80 years old and he dresses like he's 20. Same thing with the ladies, the 80 year old lady. She dresses like she's 20, tries to. It's like, there's something wrong here. Because they're influenced. Who are they influenced by? Remember in our study in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and Moses always says, let these people, these people, you're going into these lands, these peoples, do not let them be your influencer. Let them not have an influence over you because you are God's people. You are consecrated. You are consecrated unto God, unto the Lord. You're not consecrated unto Baal, unto Molech. You see? Unto the asterisk. You are consecrated unto the Lord Almighty. Do not let these people become your influencers. What happens? The people became their influencers. Not under Joshua. See, leadership matters. What's happening today in the church? Look at the saints. Who are the influencers? Who is it that Christians today? You see, they take their selfie. They want to, no, I'm not selfish, but I'm going to take a selfie with my Bible. You take a selfie with, you know, they're praying. They, you know, they put their camera on a stand, you know, and then they, you know, put on a timer and then, you know, they, they close their eyes and pray and then they have the, they take like a thousand pictures, make sure the lighting's good, make sure the makeup is good, make sure everything's on point. Oh, get my good side. You know, I don't look, I don't look so chubby on this side. So you get my good side. Everything's like, it's like a studio. Then you see young people, the young kid, young boys, young girls. They think like, wow, you know, this is how things ought to be. So, 
you know what, I'm going to take my selfies too. I want to be like my older brother. I want to be like my older sister and I want to be popular. And I want to do this. So I'm going to be my, take my selfies too. The young generation gets sucked into that. We're just looking for, look at verse, like in verse one, perilous times will come. Verse two, for men will be lovers of themselves. Boom. I mean, does that, does, I mean, I can't invoke shock. I can't invoke alarm to anybody. But I mean, looking at what we see today in this selfie generation, it should be a red flag. I mean, it is to me. Remember, we're living in a time of convergence. A time of convergence. Yes, there's these external threats. I mean, you look at geopolitically what's happening in the Middle East, the Abraham Accords, the Euphrates River. Uh, you look at all these different things. Geopolitically, what's happening with uh, 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 Russia and Ukraine, uh, China and Iran, Iran and Russia, and all these things that are happening. Yeah, it's like, okay, these are... Signs of the times, not to neglect those things. It's a very big deal, you know, implications to the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. The beginning of the 70th week of Daniel could happen this year. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, not to sound alarming or to shock anybody, but it could happen this year. You say, oh, rubbish, rubbish. That's the, or We're going to be raptured before that happens. Well, you know how I feel about the pre-tribulation rapture. It's not just how I feel. But it's based on what the Bible says. If you're pre-trib, listen to those studies. They're there on the website. They're there. You can listen to them. They're archived. You can listen to them. Jacob's trouble biblically explained. The studies through the Thessalonian letters. Remember the rescue mission, you know? Uh, 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 Phase one and phase two rescue mission. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you see? And so we look at these external threats, these external things that are happening. It's like, okay, wait a second. This, this means that we might be close to the events of the last days. Yes, absolutely. Abraham Accords and, you know, Saudi Arabia in peace with Israel upcoming. I mean, Saudi Arabia is kind of a big fish. I mean, they, they're, they're shot callers in the Middle East. I mean, when you look at, you know, oil, that's a big deal. It's not like, you know, uh, Sudan, you know, this is, this, these are heavy hitters. I mean, on the global marketplace. These are big deals. These are big issues. We look at these external things, but let's put those to the side for the moment. Let's look closer to home. Let's look inside the camp. Men will be lovers of themselves. You see? Of all these signs that we see in the last days and according to the last days, don't forget these signs. That men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, translates as money, silver, coin. Just like we studied several weeks ago, I'm all for upward mobility. I mean, if you have a job, I'm all for upward mobility. But when it's the Lord that does it, when it's the Lord that does the moving, I'm all for upward mobility. 
But when a person starts to meddle in these affairs, when a person starts to use carnal means, and it's carnal. And if it's carnal, that means it is not of the Spirit. And if it's not of the Spirit, it means it is not of the Lord. You see? I'm all for upward mobility when it's the Lord. Now, when I say this, I mean, if you reflect back on our studies in Colossians and Thessalonians, you know, another sign of the last days, externally speaking, not internally like lovers of themselves, but externally is financial problems are inevitable. As saints are squeezed out of the public market by many evils, there will be financial problems. It's one of the signs of the last days. You know, a loaf of bread for a denarii. You know, a day's wages, a loaf of bread. It's one of the signs. There will be, according to the events of the last days, starvation, high costs of living. These are prophetic things. I mean, it's, you know, on top of what we see happening geopolitically in the Middle East, Abraham Accords, look at the high cost of living. Wherever you are in the world, I teach from America. Does that ring a bell? The high costs of living? I mean, the time to pre- prepare? It was two, three years ago. Living within one's means. But today, in some cases, it's very difficult. The day to day. Very, very difficult to live in the day-to-day. I mean, I say in some cases, but in a lot of cases, it's getting worse and worse and worse. People are losing their jobs. And so, you know, if you're a believer and, you know, you, you know, you hear me speak about upward mobility and it's like, wow, you know, I can't get a job. I get, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I mean, if you, if you won't get a job, you know, definitely be discouraged. If you won't get it, I mean, if you want to stay at home and play video games all day, you know, you know, definitely be discouraged. That is a shameful thing to do. You know, especially if you you have to provide for a family, you know, don't do that. You know, remember that what like Paul says, you don't work, you don't eat. But one of the signs of the last days is starvation. High costs of living. I teach from America, but the buying power of the American is getting lower and lower and lower and lower. Asset values, lower and lower and lower. And if that's happening in America, it's much worse in Sudan. It's much worse in the third world. And so you might be listening and you're in the third world and like, oh, you know, I don't have a job like they have in America and you get discouraged. Listen, don't be discouraged. You know... The, the two churches that are not told to repent in the Bible, in Revelation 2 and 3, Smyrna, they're poor. These beautiful, beautiful, beautiful saints, men, women, boys, girls, old people, young guy, old guy, old lady, these beautiful, beautiful Smyrna saints, they're poor. But the Lord says, red letters, they are rich. Don't be discouraged. I mean, if you're poor and it's 
you know, for reasons outside of you, yes, it's a sign of the last days, but don't be discouraged. I mean, if you're poor because you play video games and you spend all your money on, you know, drugs and alcohol and the latest video game and, you know, wife and kids are starving, shameful, shameful. You cannot rejoice in that. That is shameful. But the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. But if the opposite is true, like it's for reasons outside your control, these are signs of the last days. And I don't want to gloss over it like, you know, well, you know, that that's, you know, that's just how it is. No. See, what's so beautiful about the church when we read the book of Acts is that we see love feast. We see gifts of the Spirit. These are things that will be of severe necessity in the last days. Remember Agabus in a study in the book of Acts where there was a famine coming through the land? But before the famine came, Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy, the Lord told Agabus, the spirit of the Lord told Agabus, Agabus, there's going to be a famine. And Agabus told the church. And what did the church do? They prepared you see, they prepared. Yes, there were poor people. Then you have, you know, people who have means. And there was sharing within the body. You're poor. Don't worry about it. We're going to have this food for you. You see? And then the famine came and the church was okay. You see? The body taking care of the body. Just like we see, you know, red blood cells, white blood cells. The body caring for the body. Today you have Christians, pastors who teach that gifts of the Spirit was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. Those churches are going to be in real big trouble. Because number one, who has the gift of prophecy? If the pastor says those gifts of the spirit that we see in the book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago, that was for another dispensation, it's not for today. And so the Christians, the saints in, in, the, in that church, they learn to call that strange fire. Oh yeah, this is strange fire because we don't see that in the book of Acts. We, we don't see that today like we see it in the book of Acts. So therefore the Holy Spirit has an expiration date on how he moves. You will not find that in the Bible. You will find it in churches. You will find it taught by men. And so you have Christians. And all of a sudden they start to believe that, that you know, it, when you see that today, it is strange fire. Somebody has a, a, a prophecy. Somebody has uh, speaks in tongues. Somebody interprets tongues and they do not receive it. Because they've learned to identify that as strange fire. Now, there is an abuse of prophecy. There is an abuse of tongues. There is an abuse of interpretation. But don't take that out on the Lord. That's the, the vessel that it comes in. It's not the Lord. The Lord has his real deal saints, his real deal vessels. The Lord knows this guy's faking it. This lady's faking it. The Lord knows. But there are real and the Lord knows them. Sealed by the Lord. 
It's sad, you know, never before, never before have I been more terrified than today in these days. And it's going to be even more tomorrow for the state of the church. Because Christians who, a prophet, a real bona fide prophet, formulas right, has the gift of prophecy, come in and just like Agabus, hey, there's going to be a famine. I mean, you know, maybe not like that, but, you know, I'm paraphrasing, you know, hey, there's going to be a famine, just like Agabus. And then godly men, just like the men serving in tables, women serving in tables, understanding, okay, saints, what do we got to do? Now, there's, you know, the sex, the drugs, the, the rock and roll, the Buddha, a faithful shepherd addresses all those things. So we have a church body with love feast. See, when an Agabus comes and says, you know, the, 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 there's going to be a famine, look at the framework of koinonia, biblical koinonia. Look at the framework of love feast within the remnant, how the remnant can be preserved. Yes, a famine's going to come, but you know, the, prop, the Lord told Agabus, and Agabus told the church, and the church prepared for it, and then all of a sudden the famine came, and yes, there was ruin and destruction across the land, but the church was okay. The saints were okay. That's what we see in the book of Acts. But today you have pastors saying, oh, that was the, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. And that's strange fire. So then you have an Agabus come into town and say, listen, there's going to be a a famine, you know, the Lord says there's going to be a famine. Oh, how do you how do you know that, Agabus? How do you know that, Agabus? Because look, this pastor who has his study Bible, the, the study Bible guy who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. He said he calls it strange fire. You see? And so Agabus, no, that's not for the, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that, Agabus. That was for another dispensation. And Agabus is like adamant, like, well, listen, guys, the Lord told me, look, I don't mess around. I don't, I don't do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Look, I'm, you know, not to boast or anything, but you know, like, I don't do those things. And the Lord told me that there's going to be a famine. He wants you to prepare. He wants you to be ready for it. No, no, Agabus, you know, no, our pastor says, look, he's a godly man. He's a godly man. And he has a council of elders and they're godly men. And they say that that was for another dispensation. In fact, you know what they say of you, Agabus? You have strange fire. So you know what, Agabus? We don't want you around here anymore. So why don't you just go, Agabus? Because look, we have we have to be holy. We have to be holy. Famine comes, church starves. The Lord tried to tell them, using his vessel, Agabus, but because of stupid pastor, stupid elders, the church Starves. You see? There's a lot of Christians today, a lot of churches today, where they teach the Holy Spirit. There's an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't work like he does in the book of Acts. But you will not find in the Bible an expiration date on the moving nor the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not find it. You know what you will find? When people say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. They have no oil for their lamp. No 
power. How can they have power when they've relegated the spirit for 2,000 years ago? See, how can they? Remember, the Lord's a gentleman. How can they? How do you think those churches are going to fare in the last days? You see? These are things that Satan knows. Satan knows this. He knows his time is short. The demons, they know their time is short. Remember when uh, Legion, when, you know, when Legion spoke to Jesus and Legion says to Jesus, you know, have you come before the appointed time? They know. And so what does Satan do in a church? He wants babies to stay babies. He sends out his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. Oh, you, you want to do your sex? You want to do your alcohol? Oh yeah, no big deal. Look, we're just going to love on you. We're just going to love on you. Go ahead, do your sex, do your crack. You see? It's the servant of Satan that doesn't correct. False doctrine. It's a seduction. Because Satan knows all these things. You see, remember, he's quite the tactician when it comes to warfare. And we're just on the second one in verse two, lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And, I, you know, if if you're listening and you're poor, if you're listening and you're in the third world and like you, 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 you work, I mean, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel like you're doing anything bad. You're not doing anything bad. Now, if you're poor because you play video games all day, you know, you know, you're poor for a reason. But if you're poor through, uh, through outside reasons, which these things are increasing in the last days when there will be poverty stricken across the globe. When there's love feast in the church, the body can care for the body. Saints can care for saints. But Satan knows this. And so what does he do? He says, you know what? I don't want love feast to be here. So yeah, there might be, a, you know, some hardcore Christians here, but I'm going to have them in the midst of, you know, the sex heads, the crackheads, and they're going to think everything is fine and dandy. And you know what? It's not fine and dandy because there's leaven in the camp. And Satan knows, Satan wants to prevent love feast. So he'll do it through, you know, having babies stay babies. The, the works of the flesh and carnality, he does it through false doctrine. And it's a spiritual, spiritual seduction. And not just that, he seduced, remember Demas? Bright lights, big city. You got love feast over here? Hey, Demas, look, bright lights, big city, land of opportunity. You see? He seduces to prevent love feast in the church. And when I talk about love feast, I'm talking about koinonia, episunagage. Now, remember, Ecclesia, 
how it translates in the Greek church, you know, people think, okay, church, you know, let's go to church, let's have church. But church, what ecclesia means in the in the Greek is an assembly of those who are called. An assembly of those who are consecrated. If you have that, don't leave. It's very special. Very, I mean, that's like straight up love feast. That's like straight up like Agabus. You have a church with an Agabus. You have a church with a a Philip and you have a church with Philip's daughters. Remember, they were prophetesses. You have a church with, you know, people who can speak in tongues. You have a church with people who can interpret tongues. And remember, there's order. There's order. It's not to say like, okay, we have a church with 500 and 500 speaking tongues, so we're good to go. No, there's order. But you have an Agabus, a, a Philip, Philip's daughters. You have all these. That's you, you know how safe that church is? Because the Lord will you know, speak to Agabus. Hey, Agabus, you know, like using the gifts that the Lord has given. Remember, it's the Lord that has given these gifts. Agabus, this is what's coming down. Agabus, this is what's coming down. Agabus tells the church. Agabus tells the church, tells the pastors. Pastors assemble, the elders assemble. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray about this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to prepare this way. We're going to do this, 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 this. And you know, the famine comes, the church is okay. You see, the famine comes, the remnant is okay. That's ecclesia. That is so rare. It is so special and so holy. If you have that, do not leave. If you don't have that, pray for it and look for it. It is so rare in the last days. So rare. But it is special. Very special. And when you think about guidance, the Lord's leading and guidance in the last days, this remnant will have such intimacy with the Lord unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, like the warehouse example, you know, a thousand, you know, in 10 years, it's going to be zero. So in nine years, there's 50. That 50, you think of the nine, 950 that, that walked away, 950 that followed the apostate and became apostates themselves. Yes, that's bad. But that 50, that remnant, you know how beautiful those saints are? You know how intimate those saints are? with one another and with the Lord, Episunagage, a body and assembly of those who are called, you know how special that is? Where the gifts of the Spirit are just, you know, like gangbusters? Very rare in the last days. And Satan doesn't want that. So what does he do? He seduces. Bright lights, big city. Hey, look. Oh, you want to do your sex? Go ahead, do your sex. You want to worship Buddha? Oh, God is love. Go do your Buddha. Go gambling. Go do your occult. Ouija boards. Go do. So that 1,950 leave. They get seduced. Bright lights, big city. 
They get seduced. But the 50, that remnant, oh my goodness. Holy, 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 like speechless. I'm speechless at the beauty of that bride. That's what the Bible says the last days is going to be like. There will be a seduction. There will be a falling away. There will be an isolation of saints through various means. There will be a revealing of leaven and remnant, but the ball's in your court. You see? The 50, like the warehouse, 1,000 to 50, the 50 chooses. Look what's happening here. I mean, we're just on the second one, and already it's like, oh my goodness, like, you know, you know, let, let's put the geopolitics aside in the Middle East. Let's put, you know, the Euphrates River to the side. Let's put these agendas, these globalist agendas to the side. Let's put these technologies of the mark of the beast and, you know, uh, blockchain technology and, you know, uh, uh, electronic IDs and, you know, let's put all these things to the side. Contactless payment, you know, and touchless payment systems. Let's put all these things to the side and let's just look deep within oneself. Let's look inside the church. That men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money in verse 2, boasters, proud, translates as haughty, blasphemers, which is language that is vulgar, slanderous, defamatory. You see? And irreverent towards God. That's what this blasphemers. Remember, this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. These two are not like the average bear. That in the last days, these perilous times will come. Now we continue disobedient to parents. Now we get a twofer here because. You have, a, you have kids who are disobedient to parents, but then you have parents that didn't discipline. So you get a twofer here, dis- disobedient to parents. Now, if you're a kid, my beautiful young brother, my beautiful young sister, understand formula. You must understand formula. If you're a kid, say you're like 10 years old, 8 years old, 12 years old, listen to our studies. I love you. Male, female, I don't care. I love you. Listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up to current because you will learn about formula. And when you know formula, you know, mom and dad, I love them. But if they're crazy, you got to identify, hey, they're crazy. You have to identify my beautiful young brother, my beautiful young sister. You have to identify dad is crazy. Mom is crazy. I love them, I respect them, but I cannot do what they say. I can honor them. Even when they do dishonorable things, I can choose to honor them. I'm going to be respectful towards them. But my dad says, hey, go to the street corner and buy some crack. You know, no, pops, no, I'm not going to do that. Mom says, hey, go buy me a bottle of whiskey. Mom, I love you, but no, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm a vessel of the Lord. And I submit to him, I honor you, I love you, I respect you. But when you do things that are dishonorable to the Lord, I cannot submit to that. You might be 10 years old and you're going to have to make a stand against mom and dad because mom and dad are crazy. You see? 
Yes, you honor them. But when they're crazy, you have to identify, that's crazy, I cannot submit. I must submit to Jesus Christ. You see? Parents, I love you. I don't care if your mom, if your dad, I love you, I love you, I love you. But I say this, do not forget the millstone. I'll say it again, parents, mom and dad. Do not forget the millstone. You see? Let's continue. We see here, unthankful. This translate says, never grateful. Never grateful. Have you ever been with somebody that never says thank you? Like, 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 I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. Oh, yeah, you know what? Thanks for this. Thanks for that. They don't even say that. This is, you know, entitlement mentality. Never say thank you. Now, if a person never says thank you to another person, think about their heart before the Lord. Do they even say thank you to the Lord? Are they even thankful to him? Let's continue. Unholy. Which translates as not right, not consecrated, not pure, not holy. Remember, we've put aside the geopolitical in the Middle East. We put aside the Abraham Accords. We put aside Mark of the Beast technologies. We put aside, you know, uh, microchips that are being inserted into people's hands today. The technology exists. It's been exist- existed for a while, but it's already happening today. Some countries are adopting these things. We put aside, you know, pay by hand, pay by face. We've put aside those things. Let's just look at the threats within oneself. Look what we see so far. Do you not think that the church is in trouble? Because the church today is absolutely in trouble. Many, many signs of the last days. Many, many signs of prophetic fulfillment according to the word of God. So you see here in verse 2, it's like, just in verse 2, like, oh my goodness, the church is in trouble because lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Now remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. And if in the last days, this is the state of the heart, the state of the mind, the state of the temple, consider the last days shepherd. I'm doing my air quotes. The last day's pastor, the last day's shepherd. A whole lot of defunct, a whole lot of, you know, the formula is wrong. But where are the full package men? Not package one, not package two. We're talking package three and package four. I should say package four because package four has it all. Where are the Pauls? Where are the Timothys? Where are the Tituses? You see, very rare, very rare. I mean, for this to, remember last week we looked at false teachers and pastors and defunct. And this week in chapter three, we see the fruit of it. 
fruit of it. Now, don't forget in Paul's letters, when he would go into a town and you know people would, would become Christians and he would be like a spiritual father to them, in very short order did they start to fall away. In some cases, two years, three years, within 10 years, they started to fall away. We're 2,000 years deep, give or take a couple years. I mean, look at what happened in just 10 years in the early church. Look at the, the defunct of Corinth, the Pseudadelphos and Galatia. And we're 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. Consider the pastors of today. You see? They call themselves pastors. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the pastor name badge. They stand at the pulpit. But biblically speaking, when you and me, when we understand formula, biblical formula, we know that ain't no pastor. That's a pseudodelphos. He might call himself a pastor, but he's defunct. When you identify the defunct pastor, do not, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, do not submit yourself to him. Do not. Because he doesn't watch out for your soul, like the Bible says. He doesn't watch out for your soul. He watches out for his belly. He watches out for his wallet. He watches out for something else, but uh, you know we don't have to get in there, into that subject matter. But he watches out for something else. You must not submit to the freak show pastor. Because he is not submitting to the real Jesus, whose word is above his name. You see? Now, in verse 1, we see that in the last days, these perilous times will come. Kalepos, which is a chasm that will be let down and lowered, that will be fierce, perilous, dangerous, and will reduce strength. Just like, you know, you and me, we bench press a thousand pounds, but, you know, this Kalepos comes down and we can only bench press. You, you got to spot me on three pounds. We can't even bench five pounds. I got to spot you with four pounds. Today, I don't want to alarm you. I love you. I don't want to freak you out. Today, I cannot say that this chasm will be let down. It's already begun. It's already been let down. see the church is in big trouble very big trouble the church today is in harm's way you know you hear us say you know if you have a, a church the ecclesia the assembly of those who are called and you have the Full package, sanctuary, everything is on point. You got babies, you got adults, you got, you know, you know, the, 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 the spiritual, um, adolescence. You got the fruit that, you know, babies are gonna have, you know, they're gonna have fruit, but they're gonna make mistakes and you have that, but 
You don't have people who have been milk drinkers for 10 years. The formula is good. Do not leave. That's very special. Very rare, very special, very holy. That's where you have love feast. That's where you see gifts of the spirit. That's where you see like straight up Agabus, you know, saying, you know, you know, thus saith the Lord or preparing for, you know, prophetic events like this is going to happen. And, and then you have like, you know, uh, somebody who has the gifts of gift of tongues and really says, you know, speak something in tongues. And then you have like an interpreter who really says, you know, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord said. There's going to be guidance that the Lord provides. If you have that, don't leave. But if you identify that your pastor's defunct, if you identify that your pastor is a hireling, if you identify that your pastor is not the full package, leave. Leave. You know why? It's not safe for you. It is not safe for you. Because the Bible says that judgment comes first to the church. God's judgment comes first to the church. A lot of times, you know, you have these prophecy teachers, prophecy watchers, prophecy ministries, and a lot of them are pre-tribulation, which is biblically inaccurate, biblically wrong. If you're pre-trib, I love you, but it's wrong. And they're always talking about the last days, like, oh, you know, the, the rapture is going to happen. It's, it's imminent. The doctrine of imminency, it can happen at any time, which is biblically wrong. Paul says the exact opposite, said it is not imminent, the exact opposite. And don't forget, the living will by no means precede the dead. Listen to our study through Thessalonians, you'll understand more, first and second. Listen, it's there, it's archived. You have these prophecy watchers and talking about, you know, this and Abraham Accords and peace in the Middle East and, you know, the 70th week of Daniel and this could happen at Euphrates River drying and, you know, Mark of the Beast technologies and chips in the hands and, you know, uh, uh, bioengineering certain things and smart tattoos. And yes, these are all prophetic signs. And God's judgment is coming. Yes, God's judgment is coming. Yes, I get it. Not the pre-trib part, but the signs. But precursory to that, the Bible says that God's judgment begins in the church. So you hear us say, you know, like, you know, if you identify that your pastor is, you know, uh, crazy town, if you identify that your pastor is a hireling looking out for his own belly, looking out for something else, or, you know, he's just, the formula is wrong, leave. You hear us say that, you know, leave. It's like, oh, well, what is this guy saying? He, he wants me to leave my fellowship. I've been going to church there for 10 years, 20 years, my whole life. When God's judgment is coming to this world. But it begins in the church. It begins in the church. You see? And don't forget what the Bible says. Jesus Christ says that a man's enemies will be those in his own house. 
And Jesus is the one who says, do not think that I came to bring peace on this earth. Imagine, the Prince of Peace is saying that. The Prince of Peace is saying, don't think that I came to bring peace. He says, I came to divide. Because peace comes after. Peace is personal. It comes before, but it's in the heart. I mean, when you have the peace of God, you know it. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know it because you're sealed by the Spirit if you have the Spirit. A peace that surpasses understanding, that's a gift of the Spirit. But understand what the Bible says in entirety, not piecemeal, in entirety. Don't forget our studies in Exodus. In Egypt, the plague that killed, the plague that killed in Egypt, that was from God. It wasn't Pharaoh that did it. It wasn't the Egyptians that did it. It was the Lord. And there were very, very, very specific instructions for deliverance. You see? And it's the same in the last days. You see? Let's look at verse 3. We continue. Unloving. Unloving. You know, this doesn't mean, this isn't in a sexual, this word is not in a sexual connotation. It just means loveless, no love, no caring or no affection. Have you ever seen that in a person? It's like, man, you don't even have a heart. They speak so loosely about this. Like, what to do? Where's your heart? Remember, we've put all the, the external things, they put them to the side. We're looking internally, not just in the camp. Eternally, the fruit that we see in people's lives. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But let's look at the church. People who go to church. People who walk through the threshold of church doors. And they enter the church. Have you ever seen people inside the church who are lovers of themselves? I have. People inside the church who are lovers of money? I have. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. They just don't care. There's no, it's like, wow, where's your heart? Don't you care that this person is, don't you care about this guy? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about him? Don't you care? Don't you care? Where's the heart? The church is in trouble. We see here unforgiving, he says. And this word is interesting. It's unforgiving, but it's translates in the Greek as no readiness to be sacrificed. No readiness to be sacrificed. Which, in a lot of ways, when you forgive, there is an aspect of sacrifice. I mean, yes, it's beautiful. But when you've been wronged, when you've been wronged, 
there's that internal aspect of the flesh that says, hey, I've been wronged. I don't want to forgive this guy. I don't want to forgive this lady. I don't want to forgive this girl, this boy, this old guy, this old lady. I don't want to forgive. But in order to forgive, which is pleasing unto the Lord, there is an element of sacrifice of yourself. Because sometimes it does hurt. This guy did me wrong. This lady did me wrong. And I don't want to forgive. But to prevent that root of bitterness from sprouting, you know what you have to do? You know what I have to do? You know what we have to do to prevent that root of bitterness from spreading and taking root? We have to sacrifice ourselves. Not to the guy, not to the lady, not to whoever is the cause. To the Lord. It's to Jesus Christ. You see? Slanderers, he says, which is to slander and traduce, which traduces there's an intent to disgrace. That's how this word slander in the Greek translates. It's to traduce, which is the intent to disgrace. So, Say um, somebody hates you. Somebody hates you. And they don't just want to slander you. Their intent is not to slander you per se. Their intent is to disgrace you. And in so doing, they slander you. You say, what's the difference? If the, if the end is, is, if the end is the slandering, well, what's the difference? It's the intent of the person because it's more wicked. So you're walking right before the Lord. And, you know, somebody doesn't want you to be seen in a good light. They want to disgrace you. They want, that's their intent. I want to disgrace you. I want to disgrace you. So what do they do? Now, because that's the goal, they start to slander. But the goal wasn't to slander. The goal was to bring disgrace upon you. You see, it's a little bit more wicked. In some cases, a lot more wicked. Because when you look at the intent, that's that's a different kind of hurt. But you look at the source of where it comes from, that's a different kind of evil. A deeper evil. A deeper wickedness. Remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy about this is what's going to happen in the last days. But this is the fruit of these wicked, wicked, wicked pastors. The wicked, wicked, disqualified teachers. Disqualified pastors. The default. Remember last week that we, 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 we looked at the false teachers and, you know, this is the defunct. 
And you think like, wow, that's pretty hardcore. Well, yes, this is, this is Paul and Timothy. This isn't run of the mill pastors. And he continues without self control, which translates as to be powerless. Powerless. You see, no power. When you think about the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit by saying and teaching that there's an expiration date on his gifting and moving and power and things that we see in the book of Acts, you will not find power in their lives. Have you ever heard the Have you ever heard when somebody speaks on these matters and they sound like, you know, okay, this sounds like it's, you know, it, it almost sounds academic. Instead of being in a church, it sounds like, wow, I should be in a like a, a college course. I should be in, you know, higher academia learning because, because they speak and but there's no power. And you'll see the fruit of it. You'll see the fruit of all these things. There's no power. And then when Jesus speaks about the virgins, the ten virgins, and five are foolish, and they run out of oil, and those without oil are left outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a big deal. Oh, you're such a hardliner. You're such a hardliner. Well, I don't know about you. But when I read about weeping and gnashing of teeth and being on the outside and not being with the bridegroom, I don't see being a hardliner as a bad thing. In fact, I don't see a hardliner at all. I, I see holiness. I mean, the leaven might have thought of Paul as a hardliner. Oh, don't listen to Paul. He's so stupid. He's so mean. He's this. But that's leaven. You see, understand who you're speaking to when, 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 when somebody says, you know, oh, don't listen to this guy. Don't, when it, when it's a Paul, when it's a full package, you know, when it's a Paul or an elder or a Timothy or a Titus, you know, oh, don't listen to this. He's stupid. He's this. He's... Understand who's speaking. Understand who's speaking. Because the leaven speaks differently than the remnant. When you understand formula, doctrine is like, that's like the biggie. Somebody wants to say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Somebody wants to be a grave soaker. Somebody teaches replacement theology, which is unbiblical. Completely outside of the Bible. Why would a person lend ear to such a person, such a teacher, such a pastor? The reason is because they don't know the Bible. You see, they think they do, but they don't. It's hardcore. Look, he continues without self-control, brutal, which is to be savage and not tame. You know, you know, all these things indicate 
It indicates that a person is not dead. It indicates that a person is not crucified with Christ. It indicates that a person has not reckoned the old man dead, has not reckoned the old woman dead. The old nature is alive and well. The old nature is alive and kicking. No change. Despisers of good, which is hostile to virtue. Hostile to virtue. You know, young people, I mean, even old people too, but people who are virgins. You know, not virgins according to spirit, but virgins according to the flesh. They get a boyfriend, they get a girlfriend. They, oh, I want to take the relationship to the next level. Let's take the relationship to the next level. And a, a female or a male stands for virtue unto the Lord. And all of a sudden, you become the bad guy. You become the bad gal. You see? That's what this is. Hostile to virtue. Despisers of what is good. Now, I, I speak about virtue in terms of virginity, sexual virginity, which is very virtuous. Very virtuous. But if that's you, you're male, female, you will be made fun of. You will absolutely, you enter relationship and a guy, a gal, is, I mean, if you're female, a guy, if you're a male, a gal, they're going to say, you know, you know, oh, you're so stupid. You, you're, you're still a virgin. You don't want to do this. Why? And then you stand up for Christ and you say, because I believe in Jesus Christ and I love him. You're going to be even more stupid according to them. You see? Hostile to virtue. Despisers of good things. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Everything is backwards today. Evil is called good. Good is called evil. But the Lord told us these things would come. People think, oh, we got to get our country back. Got to get our country back. Is anybody talking about judgment? Who's talking about judgment? Oh, you know, we got to get back to the Lord. We got to get back to the Lord. Okay. Let's get back to the Lord. What's up with the crack pipe? What's up with the sex? What's up with the Buddha? What's up with the casinos? You see? Oh, we got to get our country back. Everybody's thinking, you know, carnally. What about getting right with the Lord? It is righteousness that exalts a nation. That's what the Bible says. It is righteousness that exalts a nation. Not a political leader. Not fighting carnally. It is righteousness that exalts a nation. And when we when Paul is writing to Timothy that in the last days that this chasm is going to be let down. Remember, we can bench press a thousand pounds, but when the chasm is let down, we can't. We, I got to spot you with three pounds. You got to spot me with one pound. Think of the state of the church, knowing that righteousness exalts a nation. And when the Spirit of the Lord is speaking this way to Paul, and Paul is writing it down to Timothy, do you think this is righteous? 
How can a nation be exalted when this is inside the so-called righteous? When inside the so-called righteous is lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. How can a nation be exalted? Knowing that it's righteousness that exalts a nation, but how can a nation be exalted when this is inside the so-called righteous? Who's talking about judgment? Oh, we got to do this. We got to vote for this. We can turn this country around. We can do this. We can do that. But who is pointing to the signs of the times? We see in verse 4, traitors, which is, you know, to betray or betrayers is how it translates. Traitors or betrayers. Now, don't forget just like the warehouse, you know, a thousand, which, you know, now there's 50 in that example we gave in the warehouse, the falling away has happened. Now, when people fall away, there will be a falling away in the last days. But when people fall away, which is in accordance to the power and the lying wonders of Satan, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, there will be a falling away. These are people. They might still call themselves Christians. But it's allowed to say a type. It is the type of Christian that has been aligned to the mother of harlots. Don't forget, prophetically speaking, the mother of harlots, she's the mother of harlots. Let's put it another way. She is the mom of whores. Now, since she is the mom of whores, that means her daughters are whores. Her daughters are harlots. What do you think that would look like? Harlotry. Well, in the Old Testament, you know what harlotry was? Turning away from God. Apostasy. These apostates of the last days will align themselves to the mother of harlots, which aligns herself to the Antichrist. In verse 4, these traitors, these betrayers, they're not just going to hate you. They're going to want you dead. They're going to want you in jail. They're going to want you in prison where you belong. They're going to want your, your head chopped off. Good riddance to these Christians. That's what they're going to want. Just it fulfills exactly what the Lord says, that a man's enemies will be those in his own house. Traitors. Headstrong, he says, which is reckless. Haughty, which is inflated with self, lovers of pleasure or lovers of lust, rather than lovers of God. Remember, Jesus says light came into the world, but men love darkness more than the light. You see? 
They can say they love Jesus all they want. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But you know what? I also love my crack. I love Jesus, but I also like my sex. I love Jesus, but I also like, you know, the Buddha. I also like the occult. Doesn't work that way. I mean, among the remnant. In verse 5, having a form of godliness or an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Speaking of power and denying its power is to contradict, deny, reject, refuse. And that's what we see today. Christians, pastors, ministries that teach, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. You know what they're doing? They're denying the power of the Lord. And just as it says here in verse 5, just as Paul writes, they have an appearance, a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Oh, look, I have my study Bible. I have my study Bible. So what if the guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Oh, look, it's a study Bible. It's nice and thick. And look, it's, it has all this, you know, godly instruction. So what, if, so what if he says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. No big deal, which, by the way, it's a huge deal. But, you know, that's what people say. It's no big deal. The guy says, take the mark of the beast. Look, he's got a, his doctorate. It's an honorary doctorate, but he's got his doctorate in theology. And he says, this is strange fire. He says the, you know, prophets and prophetesses of today, that's strange fire. And speaking in tongues, that's strange fire. And interpretation of tongues, that's strange fire. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. They're denying the power of God. Yes, they have a form of godliness. They have an appearance of godliness. But it is ungodly in denying the power of the Lord. You see, some people just straight up deny it, like point blank to your face. Oh, yeah, that was from 2,000 years ago. Yep, it's not for today. That was 2,000 years ago, not today. And you ask them, well, why, why do you say that it's not for today? Well, because we don't see it. We don't see it today. Therefore, it's not for today. You know why we don't see it today? Do you think that the power and the moving and the gifting of the Spirit of the Lord, the Most High God, do you think He would work inside of people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, brutal des despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you think the Spirit of the Lord would work in such a vessel? It's not to say that the Spirit of the Lord didn't attempt to, didn't try to. But remember, as we always say, Balls in your court. Balls in your court. Every single person, when they hear the word, when they read the Bible, the ball's in their court. Balls in your court, balls in my court. You and me, we can respond in a manner that is beautiful and right and noble before the Lord. Or we can respond in a manner that is wicked before the Lord. That is an area that man cannot go. Only the Lord knows. 
He knows who has a noble heart. When you hear us speak about the full package pastor, there's a very specific formula. Very, very specific formula. And the Lord wants us to know that this guy, it's safe to submit to this guy. This other guy, do not. Very dangerous. But the only ones who will know that are the Bereans who love the truth with a noble heart. Those are the only ones who will know. Everybody else, the ones who are not the Bereans, the ones that don't have a noble heart, the ones that don't have a profound love of truth, they will not know. And they will submit themselves to the wrong guy, to the wrong lady. They will submit themselves to the wrong person. But the remnant, they know. You see? Just like that warehouse, you have a thousand. And yes, it's sad that there's apostasy, that they became apostate in the example. But that 50 is so marvelously beautiful and special and holy. That 50. And that's a remnant. And Paul straight up says, remember, one-on-one letter, Paul to Timothy, says that these people, they love pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but they deny its power, but denying its power. And he says, and from such people, turn away. Turn away, exclamation point. When identified, turn away, avoid them. As we see in Corinth, you know, when you identify, okay, this is the leaven. I mean, it's already happened in Galatia. It's already happened in Corinth. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through the Corinthian letters in Galatia and the letters to the churches, the epistles. When these things are identified, I mean, you take the the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. It takes two to tango. That was in Corinth. It takes two to tango. So you take the guy and the gal. And then you take the alcoholic, you take the extortioner. You know, people like to, you know, homogenize that word. Oh, I I just apply leverage. I use leverage. And look how smart I am. Look how wise I am. Let's call it what it is. Let's take the veil off and call it what it is. Extortion. You want a strong arm? That's extortion. It's of the flesh. It is carnal. If it is carnal, it is not of the Spirit. And if it is not of the Spirit, it is not of the Lord. You take the fruit of what you see in Corinth. Now, we cannot see the heart. You know, in 1 Corinthians 5, we cannot see the heart of what's going on inside of these people. But we can see the fruit. The guy is having sex with his dad's wife. That's bad fruit. Nasty, ugly fruit. The guy is alcoholic. That's bad fruit. These are things that are seen, are evident. The guy is doing extortion. That's bad fruit. The 
revilers, that's bad fruit. These are things that we can see when the fruit is made evident. But what we see here in 2 Timothy 3, that's what is seen inside the heart. Now, the Lord sees in real time, even beforehand, you know, the, the makeup, the buildup of that. Now, we see the aftermath, the fruit of it. But the Lord sees the heart of it. And that's what Paul is speaking of, lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. That's the heart. And Paul is saying to Timothy, not to the saints. He's saying to Timothy, from such people, turn away. Now, it's said to saints too. I mean, in Corinth, he says, hey, listen, you know, separate from this guy, separate from these people. He says it multiple times in different churches when applicable. The remnant needs to stay the remnant undefiled. You see? And Paul is saying to Timothy, turn away. He's saying to a pastor, turn away. You know how hardcore that is? I mean, if you're a pastor, full package pastor, your full package pastor, and you have tiny church, you don't have mega church, you have tiny church, rejoice. Rejoice. You have tiny church for a reason it's the remnant. Paul is saying to a pastor, Pastor Paul saying to Pastor Timothy, turn away. So many times pastors exhaust themselves. I got to save this lamb. I got to save this sheep, which, you know, to feed the sheep and protect the sheep. It's beautiful. It's part of the calling. When a sheep decides to walk away, you can plead, you can exhort, you can warn, and the sheep still decides to walk away. It's okay. It's not okay in terms of it's bad for them. A lot of pastors get burned out. Oh, I got to save this sheep because the Bible says, you know, I got to save this one. I got to save this one. And yes, there is biblical application to saving this one. But there's a formula for that one. There are very specific rules and blueprints for that one. You see, Understand there is a satanic seduction in these last days where Satan goes to muddy the waters. You hear me say like, it's okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay for that sheep. It's not okay for that lamb. But that's an area that you can't go. If you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, that is an area that you cannot go because the ball, just as the same way the ball is in your court, the ball is in their court. They have a choice to make. You see? 
It's not to say that it's without pain because there will be immense pain, immense pain. Your heart will be destroyed. You see, don't forget at this particular moment when Paul wrote this letter, saints, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, the saints in Asia, they've left Paul. They're leaving Paul in droves. You know, the the big bubble, they're leaving Paul. The smaller bubble, they're leaving Paul. The tiny bubble, Demas has left me. Bright lights, big city. You see? Paul has become the bad guy. Oh, don't listen to Paul. He's such a hardliner. He doesn't like it when I do my sex. He doesn't like it when I do my pornography, when I go to the Buddha. He doesn't like it when I go to Mary. He doesn't like it when I go to the Ouija boards. He doesn't like it when I do the occult. He's too mean-spirited. But remember Onesiphorus that we studied several weeks ago? Onesiphorus where he he wasn't ashamed of Paul? People were, oh, Onesiphorus, who's your teacher? You're so stupid. No, I I just listen to Paul. I I heed Paul's teaching. Paul, the guy in, in Roman prison? The guy who's going to be beheaded? Yeah, him. What? It's so stupid. Look, he says this. He talks about this. He talks about this. He's so mean against this guy. Then that's Levin. That's Levin. He said that against him for a reason. Because that's Levin. It's not right before the Lord. You see, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul. You see, Onesiphorus made his choice. The saints in Asia, they made their choice. Demas, he made his choice. Balls in their court. When Paul writes these letters to Timothy and the pastors and Titus, he's writing from a position of experience. Remember when Paul would plead with the saints, you know, I tell you in tears, I say these things to you in tears. I wonder what those letters look like. If they were to have parchment, hey, we got a letter from Paul, but then you see like the smearing of the ink, like because his tear dropped on it. Like, what does this word mean? I don't know. I think it means this. I think it's this. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's this. How, why is it smeared? It's his tears. Because he doesn't want us to do the Buddhas and the sex and the Ouija boards. He doesn't want us to do these things. And Paul pleaded with the saints even in tears he's saying have i become your enemy because i tell you the truth the more you hate me the more i love you that's what paul says and even still the balls in their court even still that's nice paul You're too mean-spirited. You're too hardcore. Look, I'm done. Demas. Paul, it was nice doing business with you. We were in a... I know you had your big bubble. You had the medium bubble, but I was in your tiny bubble. But the bright lights in big city. I like that. So, bye-bye. You see? 
When Paul is saying, from such people in verse 5, from such people turn away, it's not like a, oh yeah, no big deal. It's, 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 such people turn away. Remember, Timothy's been walking with Paul for 14 years. He knows that pain. He's seen that pain. He's seen up close and personal the pain. The broken hearted Paul. Because Christians, saints, not reject him. They reject the Lord. Because Paul knows what he teaches. He knows what he feeds. See? Look at verse 6. For of this sort, this is the, 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 the fruits inside a person who denies and rejects the power of the Lord. In verse 5, you know, they have a form of godliness. They look godly. They look like they, they have this appearance of godliness. They speak Christianese. They got the study Bibles. They got all these books about this and the New York Times bestsellers, how to be a prayer warrior, you know, crazy love, unity this, unity that. They got all these books, but they deny the power of the Lord. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Look, let's read our study Bible. Paul says, from such people turn away, but then he gives this example. He says, for of this sort are those who creep or sneak into households and make captives of gullible women. Make captives, which translates as to take captive and enslave as a prisoner of war. It's almost like a spiritual home invasion. They break in and take captives, women, you know, these gullible women, and they enslave as a prisoner of war. Picture that. I mean, carnally speaking, not to get like grotesque or anything. Picture somebody kicking your door in, grabbing the, the, the women in the house, you know, I don't know how, however old, grabbing the women in the house and then making them slaves, dragging them away, putting them in chains and dragging them away. Picture that. He's like, well, that's so violent. I know it's violent, but that's what's happening according to the spirit. Not in the spirit realm, not according to the spirit of the Lord, but that's what is happening in the spirit realm. That's what's happening. And he says that make captives of gullible women translates as foolish women, foolish women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Now, understand, anyone can be loaded with sin. Anyone can be loaded and heavy laden with sin. For my beautiful sisters in Christ, young, old, I don't care, middle-aged, I know there's a little bit of abrasion to verse 6, making captives of gullible women or foolish women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. And there's that abrasion to like, what, what is Paul talking about? Foolish women, gullible women. But says here, led away by various lusts, which translates as lusts and 
longings and desires. Now, a lot of times lust is seen in negative light, which in the majority of times it is very negative. But when it translates here as longing and desires, with your desires, they don't have to be, you know, we think of lust as like sexual, which it does have sexual connotations. But what about desires? What about longings? I know there's this abrasion to, you know, gullible women and foolish women. And I'm speaking to my sisters in Christ now, whom I love. But what about when there's purity to your desires? And when I say purity, I mean like good motives. I'll give you an example. What if you have a son who's strung out on drugs? 16-year-old son. He started hanging out with the wrong crowd and he's strung out on drugs. And you have a desire for your son to walk with the Lord. The son who you birthed literally came out of your womb. You raised him as a child. And you have a desire for him to walk with the Lord. Now, I'm going to ask you a question of my sisters whom I love. Can you go to just any pastor? Remember, there's pastors on every street corner. Is it safe, my beautiful sister, is it safe for you to go to just any pastor with this desire of you just, you want your son to get clean and not just clean with the drugs, but clean with the Lord. You want that, which is a very beautiful desire. A lot of times when we think of lust, it's like, you know, how this translates is lust and longings and desire. And there's sexual connotations there, which is applicable, but not by itself. What about the desire of 16 year old son to get clean? Point blank, can you go to just any pastor? You see? The answer is no. It's very dangerous to go to run-of-the-mill pastor. You need to find a Paul. You need to find a Timothy and pray for a Titus. Because... If you go to run of the mill, remember verse five and six, you know, these are people who have the, the source, the pastor. He has an appearance of godliness, but there's no power. No power. And if a woman Yes, female. Guys do it too, but I'm speaking to women. If a woman does that, it's foolishness. Yes, the pastor is foolish. Yes, he's defunct. Yes, he's bad formula. Yes, there's no formula. Yes, he's defunct. Yes, he's hireling. No power. Yes, that's bad. But the foolishness isn't only on him. The foolishness is also on you. You see? And Paul is speaking about these imposters. Remember, these, these 
imposters, which, you know, these imposters who creep, creep into households. And I love that he uses the word creep because they're creeps. They're creeps. Freak shows. And they look godly. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the, you know, pastor plaque on the wall. They got the theology degree on the wall. And to go if, for my sisters. To go to just run of the mill. If the formula is not right. You know who the foolish one is? It is you. That's why I'm so in love with Chloe. I'm so, so, so in love with Chloe because she knew the formula. She knew all about formula as taught by Paul. And she knew that I can't submit myself to this freak show because he's a freak show. He's a creep. I can't submit to this freak show. You know, put yourself in her shoes when she was trying to find a church home. Put yourself in her sandals when the church was founded, when Paul came to town and the church was founded. And she loves the Lord. She fears the Lord. She she's, has a noble heart and she's growing and maturing in Christ. But she's like the only one. Everybody else is starting to fall away, become defunct under the leadership of the defunct pastors and defunct elders. Put yourself in her sandal. She's in church number one. She says, okay, I'm going to try church number two. And I'm going to try church number three. Now, she's not church hopping in the bad way. She's church hopping in the good way. Trying to find where can I fellowship? Understanding the formula. Who's the pastor? Is the pastor a freak show or is he not a freak show? And in understanding formula for herself, she also knows that My sisters are in danger. She knows my sisters in Christ whom I love, they're in danger because if they go to the freak show for help, if they go to the freak show for guidance, if they go to the freak show for any type of counsel, if they request help from these freak shows, remember, Chloe knows the formula. She knows that the the ladies, they're going to become captive and enslaved as a prisoner of war. The example we gave where, you know, home invasion and, you know, the ladies are taken away in chains. She knows, Chloe knows that that's going to happen if this lady goes to the freak show, if this lady goes to the freak show, if this lady goes to the freak show, she knows that they're going to be taken captive. Spiritual home invasion. You see? Loaded down with sins. Now, who's who's not loaded with sins? Who doesn't know the Lord or a baby in Christ? There's that aspect of, yes, there's this, you know, this understanding of what is sin, what is not sin, and learning to walk according to the Spirit and choosing not to walk according to the flesh. That takes time. It's not immediate. You see, salvation is immediate. You come to Christ, you repent, and you believe in Jesus Christ. You call upon his name, and boom, salvation is immediate. But remember, it's not once saved, always saved. It's once saved, stay saved. Remember the short-term believers from Luke 8? 
Sometimes women, my sisters in Christ, you read verse six and it's like, wow, you know, gullible women. Why is, is oh, Paul's such a, he's a misogynist, you know, he's so, you know, he's, he's anti-woman, you know, and no, he's not. He understands coverings always male, but coverings need to be holy. And when the covering has an appearance of godliness in verse five, but they deny the power of the Lord. Paul says, this person, this is the kind of person that creeps into household, households. They're the ones that break into the home and a spiritual home invasion and they take captives. They make the captives the foolish women, gullible women. And yes, they're loaded down with sins, but they're led away by various lusts, various longings, various desires. So, for example, you know what we said earlier of, you know, say you have a 16-year-old son who's, if you're female, you're female. Say you're a mom. You have a 16-year-old son who's hanging out with the wrong crowd. And you have a desire for him to get clean. But you yourself have a share of sin. If you go to the freak show pastor for counsel and guidance, the chances are very high that you will be taken captive by a guy who has an appearance of godliness, but no power of the Lord. And the foolish one is you. I know that sounds harsh in saying that, but how could it not be foolishness? I mean, it's foolishness for a guy to do that. And that's, it's so beautiful to see Chloe, where Chloe knows, okay, if I can't go to these freak shows, if it is wrong for me to submit to these freak shows who call themselves pastors, they got the pastor parking spots, my sisters are in trouble. So what does she do? Home fellowship. Home fellowship. Ladies of the way. You see? Home fellowship. I don't want you to be taken captive. I don't want you to be foolish women, gullible women. And that's what happens with maturity. A person could go from, you know, baby to meat eater. From foolishness without understanding and all of a sudden with understanding to know and to understand that this way is foolishness and this way is righteousness. Don't forget, it wasn't Chloe alone who wrote the letter to Paul. It was those in her household. How beautiful is that? You see, they go to the male covering. Paul, there's problems in the camp. That's what happens. When there's freak show pastor, freak show pastor begets freak show saints. It is written. And both are apostate. You see? And then we get to verse 7. 
Speaking of these women, they're always learning. Always learning. I mean, you know, for my sisters in Christ whom I love, when the source is a freak show, when the source is the creep and looks godly and there's no power, you will learn. You absolutely will learn, which seems good. Just says it's written here, always learning, except this. And never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see? Remember what we looked at last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? When there's no love of truth? A form of judgment of God that they might believe the lie. You see, it's strong delusion that is sourced. It comes from God. It's part of God's judgment. Have you ever met a person? I could say female, but you know, a person. They got book after book after book after book after book after book. Not the Bible. You know, how to pray. You know, crazy love. Unity, unity, unity. They got all this stuff, these books, you know. Oh, look, the study Bible guy, you know. They got this and they got the coalition. They got book after book after book. Always learning. Listen, when you see that, such a vessel is always learning. Always learning. But what they learn is never the truth. Because God withholds the truth from them. You see, the doctrine is not sound. That's what is, this is an indicator of the last days. I mean, when you correlate what Paul is writing to Timothy, you correlate that with 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's like, wow, you know, so many times people look at 2 Thessalonians 2 and they're like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Yes, it's terrible. Sad, yes, apostasy, sad, strong delusion because of not loving truth, judgment of God, yes, bad. But what are the building blocks that gets a person to that point? We're looking at it right here. We're looking at it right here. This is the fruit of it. Sourced by the defunct. Sourced by the hireling. Sourced by the pseudodelphos, the servants of Satan. Because they look godly. But they deny the power of the Lord. They have no power. They have no power. They might speak very eloquently. They might speak like, have you ever gone, sat in a pews and it's almost like you feel like you're in a college class. You feel like you're like listening to a professor instead of a pastor. They use these big words and it's like, wow, you have to like write down notes. People think like you're writing down Bible. You're like writing down a word, word again, you know, making a mental note, you know, like writing down. Uh, research what this word means. Uh, and it's like a long list. Like, I don't know what this word means. I don't know what this word means. I don't know what this, I got to research all this stuff. And then finally you got to, you know, you, you finally get home, you know, and you look and you're like, what does this word mean? And then you finally like, like, how did this apply to this? It's like, there's no power. No power. I mean, when you're in a position where you just want the truth. That's it. You don't want the freak show. You're just exhausted of the freak shows. I don't want mega church. 
I don't want a, a pastor that's gonna, you know, speak with his rock star voice, have his highlights in his hair look like a rock star. I don't, I don't want a pastor that has, you know, all the social media likes and you know, the influencer and this and that and you know, the skinny jeans and looks all hipster and whatever. Just point blank. All I want is the word of God in accordance to holy formula. Not Calvinism. Not replacement theology, not reform theology, not charismania. You see, I just want the truth. That's it. Nothing fancy, only the truth. The Lord knows. He sees. He guides. And you pray. You know, he answers prayers. And that's what's going to be so beautiful and is beautiful and going to be even more beautiful beautiful about the remnant in the last days. Because the remnant will shine brighter and brighter and brighter. Love feast. The gifts of the Spirit. You will find that. It will be very rare. You will find that only among the remnant. Everybody else, you will not see this. You will not see this. You see? It's very beautiful. And the Lord will... There's very specific route and pathway for safety in the last days the formula very very the blueprints are outlined in the word of god and when you overlay second thessalonians chapter 2 to this and you see like oh my goodness the falling away the apostasy yes it's bad the powers of satan the lying wonders you know the signs and lying wonders very bad and you know the uh Strong delusion, which you do that, that God sends as a result of not loving truth, very, very bad. But this is this is the pathway to get to that point. You see? This is the pathway to get to that point. The pathway of apostasy. When a person is a Lover of self, lover of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Paul is saying to Timothy, from such people turn away. Of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning. I mean, picture this woman. The, she has a 16-year-old son who's doing drugs and she just wants him to be clean, which is a very beautiful and valid longing and desire. She has a share of, her share of sins herself. And she goes to run-of-the-mill pastor. She goes to the creep. She goes to the freak show. Who gives her books? Here, read this. Read this, you know, 
crazy love, read this coalition, read this study Bible. And yes, she will learn. But there's a problem. What is she learning? Because the truth is withheld. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And when you see this pathway to apostasy, you overlay that with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's like, oh my goodness. You see? These are things that you see in the church today. People have stacks upon stacks upon stacks upon stacks upon stacks upon stacks of books written by Joe Schmuckatelli. But they're never able to come to the truth. See? Look what Paul says here in verse 8 now. As Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Now, resisted Moses, it's to stand against and oppose and resist. And Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Now, do you remember our study in Exodus, if you've been walking with us for a while? And, you know, the, the, uh, 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 Moses and Aaron, you know, the sign of the Lord, you know, the water turned red, you know, and, you know, blood red. And all of a sudden, you know, the wise guys of Pharaoh says, oh, Pharaoh, don't worry about it. Look, our gods can do it too. Look, we can do it too. And they made water red. Well, surprise, that's Janice and Jambres. Janice and Jambres. The wise guys of Egypt, the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh, don't listen to Moses. Look, we can do it too. See, there is power and ability. But just as when you do the overlay of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's according to the power of Satan and lying wonders. And what do they resist? Just as they resisted Moses in verse 8 here, so do these also resist the truth. So do these also resist the truth. You see? So now you see a grouping. You see the freak show pastor who creeps in. He takes captive gullible women. They're always learning. Never able to come to the truth. They also resist the truth. And when truth is resisted, the Lord sends strong delusion. Now, it's not immediate. It, takes, it's, it happens in the course of time. But that's a threat. The threat of entering strong delusion. But it's a form of judgment. And it's a result of not loving the truth. That's why you hear us say from time to time that you and me, we're in the same boat. We must have a deep, 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 profound love of the truth, even when it hurts. Even when it goes against, I mean, everybody teaches pre-tribulation rapture. Everybody teaches it. Not everybody, but the majority. But when you read the Bible and you study the Bible, with a profound love of truth. You know what I say? 
Who cares what they teach in seminary? Who cares what they teach at the theology schools? Who cares what they teach at Bible college? I want to know what the Bible says. What the Word of God says. And the Word became flesh. You see? Look at these, the deeper fruits here of the Janus and Jambres type, who they resist the truth. These are men of corrupt minds, he says in verse 8, or depraved and defiled minds. Remember, they look, these are, these are guys who look godly. They have an appearance of godliness. But they are disapproved concerning the faith. According to holy formula, the biblical formula, they are disapproved concerning the faith. They are rejected, reprobate, and worthless concerning the faith. You see? See, Chloe knew this. Chloe knew this. She knew that if I can't submit to this guy as pastor... This guy's not watching out for my soul. He's watching out for his wallet. So I'm going to go to this other church. This guy's not watching out for my soul. He's watching out for his belly. You know, and so I'm going to go to this church. And this guy's not watching out for my soul. He's watching out for something else. What do I do? And she knows that there's other sisters that, okay, these sisters are in trouble. If they submit to this guy, you know, they don't have this understanding. And they might be taken captive. And she knows that these men, they call themselves pastors. They got the pastor parking spot. And yet she knows, as Paul says, because she's a student of Paul, she knows that these guys, freak shows, they are disapproved, rejected, reprobate, and worthless concerning the faith. You see? It's dangerous for women to submit themselves to these guys. Not the good dangerous, the bad dangerous. It's dangerous for them. The good dangerous is when these women become dangerous. Like Chloe, that's the good dangerous. For the women to submit to the freak show pastor, that's dangerous. That's the bad dangerous. But the good dangerous is Chloe in submission to Paul. Because Chloe, she becomes dangerous. And she's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. I mean, where was the light in Corinth? I mean, look at the light that was dimming in Corinth. But look at the bright light at Chloe's house. You see? And Paul says here in verse 9, but they will progress no further. See, there are limitations to their momentum. They will progress no further for their folly or their stupidity will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Genesis and Jambres, you know... it was it was manifest to all when Genesis and Jambres were like, look, you know, like, look, Pharaoh, we can do it too. We can make the, the, the water blood. We can make the water red. Look, we can do it too. But then when the hail came, they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. And that's one of the most beautiful, precious things about the last days is that people will see. They will see. You know, we were supposed to be raptured. We were supposed to be raptured and we're still here. And they're going to see, like, wait a second, maybe this doctrine was wrong. Some will say Christianity was supposed to reign supreme. 
but the new apostolic reformation and they're going to realize, oh my goodness, we were taught wrong. They're going to say, wait a second, this pastor guy, the Bible study guy says, take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. You know, these are things that will be exposed in the last days. Now, of the remnant and of the remnant only, it's part of the great exodus of the last days. Exodus before the exodus. There is an exodus, which is the rapture. But there is another exodus, which is precursory to that. It's the exodus from false doctrine. When these things are exposed, it's only for the remnant. Because there will be an apostasy too. And people will either leave the church or hunker down in the false church, hunker down in the apostate church, hunker down with the whore of Babylon. You see? And we see these things happen. Remember, this is a one-on-one letter, Paul to Timothy. And Paul is describing a famine of the word of God. These are things that happen when God becomes forgotten. Just like we see, I mean, we haven't got there yet, but we mentioned it a little bit in our study in Joshua. Under the leadership of Joshua and the elders, it is good for Israel. But when Joshua and the elders die, Israel becomes apostate. They move toward harlotry. You see, leadership matters. God becomes forgotten. This is how God becomes forgotten. Of course, you see the fruit of it, like you see in Corinth, the sex, the alcohol, the extortion, the, you know, the, 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 the works of the flesh. But internally, we look deeper. You see the lovers of money, lovers of self, boasters, proud, disobedient, the parents, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. These, the fruit of it is the works of the flesh. You know what prevents a heart from getting to this point, what we see in verse 2, 3, and 4? What prevents a heart is repentance. Hearts need to stay nice, beautiful, soft, jello. Not balsa, not maple, not oak, not pine. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful jello. Nice and soft. You see? And part of the exodus of the last days when these false teachings are exposed, saints will have, it's almost like the last call. To jump ship, come out of her, my people. It's like the very last call. Jump ship. This ship is sinking. This ship is entering judgment. You see? And we get into verse 10. Remember Paul to Timothy. He says, but you. I love that. We look at all these things. I mean, these are harrowing things that we've been looking at. I mean, verse one, one through through nine, it's like, oh my goodness, like this is this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Yes, there's the external threats, and yes, there's the external framework and you know the the, the blueprints of the events of the last days. And 
But what about inside the heart? What about the state of the church? What about the state of temples? And Paul is saying to Timothy, but you, yes, there's this stuff that's going to happen. And yes, it's bad. I'm not just glossing over it like this stuff is going to happen. No, it's, it's devastating. But you, remember 14 years in a very, very tiny bubble, Paul and Timothy, my son in the faith, he says of Timothy, no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your state. That's what he says of Timothy. And he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Remember, Paul and Timothy, 14 years in a very, very tiny bubble. Carefully followed here in verse 10. You have fully known. You have fully traced. You have fully conformed. You have fully accompanied my doctrine. Now, speaking of the faith now, the audacity for a person to say like, my doctrine. Because when somebody says my doctrine, it is said of wolves and it is also said of the faithful shepherd. How will you know? You have to be a Berean. You have to study the scriptures. You have to know the Bible. You see, because anybody can say, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say that. If the study Bible guy stands up and says, follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, by the way, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. And a person, a Christian, follows that guy and does what he says and takes to the mark of the beast, assuming that he'll be saved. You know what? Hello, lake of fire. That's straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth because the Bible says, don't you dare take the mark of the beast. You see, anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But when Paul says it, you take study Bible guy. He says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And you take Paul or Timothy. Take Paul and Timothy. And all three stand up and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, let's take not all three. Let's just take, let's take Timothy. Study Bible guy and Timothy. They both say, follow me as I follow Christ. They both say it. One guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Timothy says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you look at the people, you look at the congregation. It's like, wow, this is a mega church. Study Bible guy's got a mega church. Wow, there's a lot of people there. Surely the Lord is with him. You look at Timothy, he's got like, you know, 10. (laughs) Not a lot of people with Timothy. How will you know? They both say the exact same thing. They both say, Follow me as I follow Christ, except with one of them, it's lake of fire. You see, how will you know? When you're a Berean with a noble heart and you love the truth, you'll know it is safe to submit myself to Timothy because he sincerely cares for my soul. You see? That's how you'll know. Paul doesn't say like, Timothy, you've carefully followed my doctrine. He doesn't say it in a prideful sense. He doesn't say it like, oh, it's my way or the highway. No. But he knows what he teaches. He knows what he feeds. He knows who he serves. He knows his place. 
He knows his master. And it's not just doctrine. He says in verse 10, you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know these things. You know what happened at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And guess what? Little Timmy was with him for 14 years in this very special bubble of Paul. And from our studies in the book of Acts, we see the hands and the feet and the words of Paul. And we read the letters of Paul, letters to the churches, letters to Romans, letters to the Corinthians, letters to the Galatians, the outpouring of his heart. And you know what? Timothy was there. Timothy was there. He was witness to these things. He saw the heartache of Paul. And not just saw the heartache of Paul. Timothy sincerely cares for their soul. He himself was heartbroken. Paul isn't proving himself to Timothy and saying these things like, you know, you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured. He's not proving himself to Timothy. Timothy was there. That's already done. Timothy knows Paul is the real deal. Timothy knows Paul is the full package. Don't forget what we studied in, in chapter 1. When Paul says, share with me, share with me in this walk, in sufferings for the gospel. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. It's the path of the faithful shepherd. And Paul is teaching the next generation of pastoral leadership. Pastor Timothy. You see? Paul's not Mr. Popular either. It's just the opposite. Saints are leaving him left and right. Pastors, elders are leaving him left and right. Bright lights, big city, the masses left me. The bubble of Paul is getting very lonely. And Paul is about ready to be beheaded here. This is his last letter. Second Timothy is his last letter. I mean, chronologically speaking, we still got a couple more letters of Paul, but chronologically speaking, this is his last letter to Timothy. He's not Mr. Popular at this moment. But you know what? He never wanted to be Mr. Popular. He's just obeying the Lord as the Lord instructed him. And speaking of these persecutions and afflictions that happened in different cities and various cities in verse 11, he says, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me or the Lord rescued me. See, he says in verse 12, yes, and all who desire or determine and choose. Remember, it's a choice. The Lord doesn't make robots. You and me, we have to choose righteousness. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. You see, many don't think of faith as a lifestyle choice. They think of faith as a choice only. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's a choice I made. I believe in Jesus. But they don't think of faith in terms of godliness as a lifestyle 
choice. They think of it only as a choice. You say, what's the difference? There's a big difference. Because if faith is a choice, it's like, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Because it's his choice and I made my choice. But when it's a lifestyle choice, now it's different. Now it's deeper. Now we get into a matter of obedience. Because when faith and godliness in Christ Jesus in desiring and choosing to live godly, when we see it as not just a choice to believe in Jesus, but a lifestyle choice. You know what that means? That means you're going to burn the pornography. That means you're going to dump the, the, the vodka in the sink. You're going to, you know, flush the, 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 the quaaludes in the toilet. That means you're going to get rid of all of it. Because godliness, righteousness, it's not a choice to believe in Jesus. It's deeper. It's a lifestyle choice. You see? Have you ever seen like, you know, like chubby people? And they're like, they're just like, they're okay, I'm done. Like cold turkey, I am done with being chubby. And they go they, like, okay, they make a lifestyle choice. You know what they do? They like throw out the donuts, you know, or, you know, they, you know, give it to charity or something. You know, they get rid of everything and they, they start eating, you know, I mean, only eating kale. And then like a week passes and they're back to burgers because the kale gets nasty, <laughs> you know. But sometimes people do that as Christians. They say, well, you know, okay, I'm going to live for Christ and all these things. And then a week later, it's like, okay, I'm back to the crack. I'm back to the sex. You see? But when it's a lifestyle choice, it's like a person who determines and desires and chooses to live godly in Christ Jesus as a lifestyle choice, counting the cost, he says, will suffer persecution. This isn't just... Paul is speaking, you know, this is worker to worker, pastor to pastor. But he says, everybody. This is both worker and field. Pastor and student. Pulpit and pew. All the saints. You desire to live godly in Christ? You will suffer persecution. Remember, Satan he wants you in hell. He wants people. He wants God's creation in hell. He wants you in hell. Do you think he's going to do nothing? You see? Do you think he's going to do nothing? When he wants you in hell? No, he's going to fight. We have to be ready. Now, Satan wants you in hell, but God wants you with him in heaven. In paradise. Do you think he'll do nothing? Now, he doesn't make robots. He doesn't, you know, boom, you will believe in me. No, he doesn't make robots. I'm not a Calvinist. He sends his messengers to tell you that God loves you. He sends his messengers to tell you that God loves you and to teach of his son to teach about righteousness, to equip in the ways of righteousness. You see? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Don't reject. Don't reject the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, 
You know, sometimes, you know, we teach here, you know, we teach it. It's just, there's like, okay, you know, this, this is for Christians. But, you know, sometimes I fully understand that non-believers listen. And if that's you, you know, like, just like earlier, you know, if you're a female, my sister in Christ. But if you're a non-believer, male, female, young, old, I don't care. I mean, I care, but, you know, everybody. If you're not a believer, cut it out. Don't be an be- unbeliever anymore because i mean look at the gender we're in this selfie generation i mean they have like you pay like you know a thousand bucks to go to a studio a thousand bucks to go to a studio and fake a vacation you take you know your selfies in bora bora selfies and you know first class flag you take all these selfies and it's all fake you're not in bora bora you're in a studio in jersey you see selfie generation Lovers of money, boasters, proud of it. Remember, we've put all these topics aside. We put aside, you know, the Euphrates River is drying for such a time as this. Abraham Accords, we've put that aside. You put aside, you know, chips in your hands, which are happening. We put aside blockchain technology. We put aside, you know, uh, digital identification. We put all these things to the side. Look at these other indicators. And Paul says that in the last days that this perilous times will come. You see? Believe in Jesus. If you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, we grow together. It's the family of the Lord. Heirs of Abraham according to faith. You see, this isn't a maybe that you might suffer persecution. No, you will. You see, you will. You believe in Jesus Christ and you choose to live godly in Christ Jesus, not fake, the real deal. You will suffer persecution. I mean, in certain parts of the world, you, you know, you're, you're, you're on target list. You're going to, they want you dead. They will kill you, attempt to kill you. And in some cases, successful. But if you live in areas where it's not as hot and heavy at this point in time, people will still hate you. They'll make fun of you. You're such a legalist. You're going too far with this Jesus business. Oh, how dare you speak? You know, look, we're going to have a, you know, look, we're going to have a, a, a nice pasta meal and we're going to have this red wine to compliment. Look, come on, let's go get, let's get drunk tonight. Oh, you don't want to drink? Oh, you're so stupid. You're such a legalist. Hey, let's read let's read these coalition books. Oh, the Holy Spirit? That's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Let's read these coalition books. Let's read this crazy love. Let's do the study Bible. You see? Always learning. Always learning. Always learning. But absent of the truth. Strong delusion have you ever been in christian circles i'm doing my air quotes and it's like oh my goodness everybody's delusional everybody's delusional like what is happening strong delusion is from the lord it's a form of judgment 
And we see here in verse 13, but evil men and imposters, this is translates as the wicked degenerates who hurt through influence and seduction as imposters. This is inside the camp. This is inside the church. In some cases, in a lot of cases, in most cases, at the pulpit. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, we see that this is in according to the working of Satan with power and lying wonders. And it's in preparation for the Antichrist, the revealing of the Antichrist. It's all in preparation for that moment, which prophetically speaking will happen and could happen soon. I mean, the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. For the first time, we're living in a moment of convergence where there's multiple prophecies that aren't just coming to pass. They've already come to pass. The beginning of the 70th week could happen very now. I don't want to be like an alarmist and be like, oh my goodness, that's alarming. But yes, it is alarming. It is alarming. The last days will be perilous, as the Bible says. But look at verse 14, but you, but you. All this this framework of the events of the last days, this framework of perilous times, which is, these are very difficult studies because it's like, you know, this is hardcore material. Not to suggest that there's, you know, you know, light material, but sometimes it's like, wow, this is a beautiful passage and, you know, praise be the Lord because, you know, it's, it's like, you know, very beautiful. And not to suggest that this isn't beautiful because it is beautiful, but it's like, okay, this is like, you know, we're getting down and dirty now. Now it's like, okay, it's business, you know, I mean, it's all business, but I'm, I'm, I don't mean business like, you know, in a, in a bad way. I mean, like, you know, this is very serious stuff. And in this framework of, yes, there's going to, you know, these are, you know, the, the creeps, the freak shows who creep in the households and they deny the power from such people turn away and, you know, the works of the flesh and what's going on in the heart. And as Janice and Jambres, yes, they're, you know, rejected and disapproved concerning the faith and it's going to grow worse and worse. These evil men and imposters, it's going to grow worse and worse and they're deceiving and being deceived. But you. But you, Timothy, in verse 14, but you. I love that. Because Timothy's made his choice. But you must continue or endure and abide. You must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. Remember what he says in verse 10. It's my doctrine. Not taking ownership like, you know, it's my way or the highway. But he knows what he feeds. Timothy knows the fidelity of Paul. Paul knows the fidelity of Timothy. You see? I mean, Paul didn't write to every pastor. He wrote to a remnant of pastors. He says, you must continue, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. You see, he's not boasting. 
But when the proof is in the pudding, the proof is in the pudding. Remember, Paul's in prison. Saints have left him. Pastors have left him. Ministry ministry leaders have left him. But just like Onesiphorus, where's his fault? The leaven can pinpoint many faults. Wolves can pinpoint many faults. Hirelings can pinpoint many faults. But who is speaking? See? When the dead speak, know what it's coming from. Know what the source is. It's the dead. You see? But when you're a Berean with a noble heart, you know the formula and a profound love of truth, the Lord will show you, that's my guy. Paul, that's my guy. Timothy, that's my guy. Titus, that's my guy. Chloe, that's my gal. Priscilla, that's my gal. Lydia, Phoebe, that's my gal. You see? Remember, it's the Lord who leaked these letters. This is a letter to Timothy. Paul's letter to Timothy. How in the world are we reading it today? <laughs> I mean, you know, let's be honest here. Let's be straight up. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. How is it that we're reading it today? Because it's not to the church. It's not to the church. It's for the church. It's not to the church. It's to Timothy. How in the world are we reading this today? I'll give you the answer. The Lord leaked it. Because the Lord wants you and me to understand the holy formula of the full package pastor so that you and me can know that it is safe to submit to this guy. It is safe to submit to that guy. Where the Lord says, that's my guy. The Lord says, that's my guy. But these other guys, I never knew them. You see? Take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Never knew them. You see, that's not my guy. Replacement theology, God is all done with Israel. No, that's not my guy. Grave soaking, no, that's not my guy. You see, Paul, Timothy, that's my guy. Chloe, Phoebe, that's my gals. He wants us to know this holy formula. Now, when I speak of these females, I don't speak of them as pastors. You see? But they are teachers. Beautiful, beautiful teachers. And so we see here in verse 15, in closing, in verse 15, when Paul says, you know, knowing from whom you have learned them, Paul's not boasting. But he continues in this source of learning in verse 15. And that from childhood, brephos, brephos in the Greek. You know what that means? Infants. Infants. You know what infants are? I mean, you know, people have their idea of what an infant is. But, you know, like when you buy like clothes, yeah, like baby clothes. Infant, age zero to one. From childhood. This is the fruit of mama and grandma. You see? Females. Women. And yes, 
The Bible says women cannot be pastors. Female cannot be pastor. Female cannot be a covering over other men. Cannot. But a female can be a covering over her son. You see? Training not just the next generation of faith, but the next generation of pastors. Now, this isn't to exclude dads. Remember our study through Ephesians for you dads out there. The buck stops with you. Sometimes, you know, guys, they go to work, come home, and they figure, okay, my wife, you know, cooks, cleans, takes care of the kids and does this. And they figure, okay, my job's done. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the buck stops with you, dad. You see? Look at the parents of beautiful Timothy. No millstone for Timothy's parents. No millstone for Timothy's parents. Because in verse 15, from childhood, from infancy, from brefos, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Sacred books, sacred letters, sacred writings, sacred epistles. From childhood, from infancy. You have known the Holy Scriptures. You know, a baby comes out of the womb. You know when training begins, parents? Right then and there. That's when training begins. The Holy Scriptures become known to the next generation. Speaking of the Holy Scriptures in verse 15, which are able. Which are able. Now, Remember, searching the scriptures for the Bereans, good. For the Pharisees, bad. Because remember, the Bereans, with noble hearts, they search the scriptures. But the Pharisees, Jesus says, you search the scriptures for in them you think there is eternal life. Is the Lord saying there is not eternal life in the scriptures? Where absolutely there is eternal life in the scriptures. But the question is, what is the condition of the heart? Is the heart Berean or is the heart Pharisee? If the heart is Pharisee, the scriptures do not contain eternal life. If the heart is Berean, the scriptures contain eternal life. You see? Because how did the, how did the Pharisees search the scriptures? They searched the scriptures to twist it to their own advantage so that they could trap Jesus. To make an excuse for the, how they wanted to behave. Instead of yielding to the word, they wanted to yield the word. That can't be done. You see? And for the Pharisees, did the scriptures have eternal life? No, because there was no love of truth. The truth was withheld. But, and not just point blank, the truth is withheld. There's a reason, because there was no love of the truth. But for the Bereans, truth, eternal life, open book. You see, open book, read the, the Spirit, you know, helping, teaching. These are things that the Holy Spirit knows, because the Holy Spirit knows the heart. That's why you can't read the Bible as literature. You read with a noble heart and the Spirit teaches. 
and the holy scriptures in verse 15, which are able to make you wise. Now, this is not wisdom of the world, not a carnal wisdom so that we can be millionaires. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's about to be beheaded pretty soon. This is to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, remember, Paul says, you know, that my doctrine, my doctrine, you know, when, 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 when Paul says my doctrine, he himself is aligned to the Holy Scriptures. Paul doesn't say, you know, when, when he says uh, uh, in, in verse 10, uh, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Well, his doctrine is that of the Lord. His doctrine is that of the Holy Scriptures, the sacred books, letters, writings, and epistles. That's his doctrine, aligned with the, 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 the word and will of God. Torah and, you know, the prophets, everything. And when Paul says, my doctrine, this is the doctrine he speaks of, Genesis to Revelation. But he doesn't say, you know, that this wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and, you know, that, that you know, it's, you know, read my book, you know, read my book because my book is able to make you wise for salvation. He doesn't say, you know, read this bestseller, read this New York Times bestseller because it's able to make you wise for salvation. He doesn't say, read this book from the coalition and, you know, I'm part of this ministry and look, I'll give you a discount. He doesn't say that. He says, stick to the Bible. Stick to the Bible. I think it's kind of odd that there's a lot of sola scriptura people. But they have all these books, all these libraries. What's wrong with just the Bible? I mean, if somebody's going to stand on sola scriptura, what's wrong with sola scriptura? You see, if you're Calvinist, Reformed, I love you. But your doctrine is wrong. Your doctrine is false. Now, we have a library of studies on that. And they're available. They're archived. All scripture, he says in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know how this translates? All scripture is given, is given, and it's breathed of God. I love that. Have you ever had somebody whisper in your ear? Number one, it's very personal. Then you're not just anybody. Somebody, hey, can I whisper in your ear? Get out of here, freak show. No. And not just anybody. Number one, for anybody to come close in that, you know, in close proximity to you, very close proximity to you, that person has to be very special. Number two, when that person whispers in your ear, you can feel the wind of their breath on your ear. A mile away, a person cannot hear the whisper. They cannot feel the wind of that breath. Ten feet away, nope, that's you can't hear that. Five feet away, you can't hear it, you can't feel it. One foot away, the whisper is so gentle. You can't feel it, you can't hear it. The only way, the only way you hear it and you feel it, the, the, the wind of that breath, 
And when it's whispered, the only way is when you're cheek to cheek. Cheek to cheek. Then you can hear. Then you can feel that beautiful wind of the word of God. I mean, you know how any Hebrews, you know, the great, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, when you think about this cloud of witnesses, think of the noise. The noise that called, that caused the, the multitudes to be deaf. Everybody is just doing their own thing. Everybody is walking according to their own way. Everybody walking according to the flesh. Everybody walking according to whatever they want to do. But not with a remnant. They chose to live godly. Everybody's, you know, they got the noise of life. But in the midst of the camp, in the, everybody's has the noise of life. You have Hannah. You have Samuel, you see, you have Amos, beautiful, you have Ruth, people who chose to live godly, people who were not distant from the Lord, but who had cheek to cheek with the Lord, they could feel the breath on their ear, they could hear his whisper. Cheek to cheek with the Lord. The Lord knows those who are his, as we studied last week. The seal of the Spirit. And those who are his, they also know that they belong to the Lord. Remember when the Lord says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Is that just a blanket statement for everybody? The answer is no. The Lord knows those who are his. You see, he knows who the Achans are. And with the Achan, casualties, no victory. He knows. And that's what I love about verse 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God or breathed by God. Because it calls into mind just the thought of a whisper in the ear. A faint, faint, faint whisper in the ear. And when you, when somebody whispers in your ear, not just somebody, not just anybody can have that close proximity to you. Very special person that you allow, that you permit to have that close proximity. And when they whisper in your ear, you feel that wind of their breath. And you hear what they say. And that's what Paul is speaking about the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Paul, John, Jude, Peter. These are men who had cheek to cheek with the Lord. So much so that when the Lord whispered in their ear, they could feel that breath of the Lord. It's by inspiration of the Lord. God breathed. And speaking of this holy scripture, 
Paul says, and is profitable or advantageous for doctrine, which is instruction, for reproof, which is to rebuke, admonish, and convict, for correction, which is to strengthen or strengthen again, for instruction in righteousness, which translates as nurturing, tutorage, education, discipline, and training in the ways of righteousness. And Paul says it's advantageous and profitable. Speaking about the word of God, all scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is advantageous and profitable. And I used to not like that. I used to not like that it was advantageous and profitable. Because I wanted it to be more. I wanted it to be definitive. Like all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And isn't just profitable, but you know, it, it like, well, absolutely is, you know, you, you'll have your, you know, you'll be in, in instructed. It's, you'll have righteousness. And I wanted more absolutes to it. But as I grew in Christ and as I died more to self, I love it that it's advantageous and profitable. I love it. Because I want to say a challenge is presented, but it's not really a challenge. You and me, we need to choose obedience. I mean, it's not righteousness through carnal osmosis. I mean, we don't just lay down on the couch, put the Bible in our heads, and expect the Word of God to soak into our minds. It doesn't work that way. We have to make the pages white. Every jot, every tittle, make the pages white. And then comes, you know, when, when Paul says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. Well, of the doctrine, do we love the truth? Do we align to the Bible? What about reproof? Do we respond, do we respond in a good way to Conviction and admonishment in scripture? What about what Paul says about correction? Which translates as the, 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 to, to straighten again. Well, are our ways straight? I love that this challenge is presented. And I don't like saying challenge. I just don't know how else to put it. In a sense, it's a challenge. But in another sense, it's not really a challenge. Because a person learns to choose obedience. A person learns the instruction in righteousness. A person learns to trust in the Lord. And in so doing, just like we say in our study in the Old Testament about the law. I'm not advocating the law, but it's been said many times before. But when we learn instruction, we learn to fear the Lord. We learn to trust the Lord. We learn to love the Lord. And when those have happened, we learn to love the Lord even deeper and deeper and deeper. And in so doing, we also learn to die. To die in Christ. And just as Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You and me, we can say the same thing. We are crucified with Christ. 
ecclesia, an assembly of those who are called. You see? Number verse 7. In verse 7, you have a group of people who are always learning and never able to come to the truth. But what do you expect? What do you expect when the source is defunct? I mean, when you understand formula and you know, just like Chloe, this guy is not formula. This guy, formula is bad. This guy's formula is bad. This guy can't, I cannot submit to this guy. I cannot submit to this guy. As pastor, I cannot submit to this guy. I mean, in verse seven, it's like, okay, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And there's that harshness to it. Like, whoa, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. And yes, it's a big deal. But when you understand formula, full package, the outline and the blueprints for pastoral leadership. What do you expect? How can any of us expect truth to come from defunct? How can any of us expect truth to come from servants of Satan? From the Sudadelphos? You see, from the New York Times bestsellers. Stack of books. People assume, wow, this guy's smart, this gal is smart, and wow, they're godly, and all these things. They got all these stacks of books when they're really a whole big stack of stupid. You see? These are the signs of the last days. Remember Paul says in verse 1 that in the last days, perilous times will come. But you, he says to Timothy, but you, he says it again in verse 10 and verse 14, but you. And in this exhortation unto a young pastor, Paul's counted the cost for himself. He knows that just as he says that, you know, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. He knows that Timothy's not going to be Mr. Popular as well. And in this exhortation to this young man of God, trained from childhood, mama and grandma, who has known the Holy Scriptures from an infant, in this exhortation, Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, man of God, Anthropos in the Greek, which is human being, which is the man or woman of God. May be complete, may be perfect. Just, just the same way, just like profitable, advantageous. You know, it's like, wow, you know, I wish it was like, you know, more certainty to that. In verse 17, may be, you know, why not certainty? Why not will be? And, you know, if we're going that far, why not always will be? But I love that. Because the ball's in your court. Old Testament, New Testament, ball's in your court. Yeah, just like Eli. Eli made his choice. Samuel made his choice. I mean, you compare Eli and Samuel. Eli made his choice. Samuel made his choice. 
according to the law, the Lord would speak to the high priest. Eli was the high priest. The Lord was not speaking to the high priest as he said he would. Now, did the Lord change his mind? No. Eli changed his heart. The formula wasn't right in Eli. Except Samuel, little boy Samuel, had ears to hear. Proximity to the Lord. Not just proximity to the Lord. Cheek to cheek. And he heard the voice of the Lord. You see? Old Testament, New Testament. I love that. Balls in your court. Moses, balls in your court. Hannah, balls in your court. Amos, balls in your court. You see? Paul, balls in your court. Timothy, balls in your court. Chloe, Lydia, balls in your court. You, I don't know your name, but (laughs) if I did, I would say your name. Balls in your court. You see? In all of world history, most choose wrong. Some choose right, but of the ones that choose right most, it's only for a time, short term. It's only the remnant that chooses rightly every day. And every day, the ball's in your court. Every day, the remnant knows this is the formula. And every day, the remnant knows I choose to live godly. It's a lifestyle choice. No, I'm not going to get drunk with you. No, we're not going to the strip club. No, we're not going to go gambling. No, I'm not going to drink Chablis. I'm not going to have the red wine with the pasta. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get high. I'm not going to do the Buddha, the occult, marry Ouija boards. I'm not going to. Why? Because this temple, it's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. And it's for his glory. You see? The Lord knows those who are his. Don't forget that God is reactionary. When a person chooses to live godly in Christ Jesus, the Lord knows. The Lord is reactionary. Look at what he does. In verse 17, that the man of God may be complete or perfect. Thoroughly equipped, translates as fully equipped. And there's emphasis as teacher. Because when this happens in you, don't don't be surprised when the Lord comes knocking and says, Hey, I want you to teach. Hey, I want you to be a pastor. Don't be surprised when the Lord, well, he doesn't have to come knocking because he's already there. Don't be surprised when the Lord says, I would like you to be a teacher. Now, the ball's still in your court. Don't be surprised if the Lord comes and says, I want you to be a pastor. Because he knows those who are his. And he wants saints to know these things. Just like, remember when the Lord revealed the blueprints to Ananias? When Ananias was like, you know, Lord, are you sure it's this guy? Because this Saul, he... He's killing Christians. He's having them imprisoned. He's having them beaten. Are you sure it's this guy? And the Lord says to Ananias, Ananias, it's okay. Ananias, he's my chosen vessel and I'm going to use him to go to the Gentiles. You see, I'm going to use him to share my good news. I'm going to use him. He's my vessel. 
See, when the formula's right, and inside of you, I mean, the, the formula's right in the pastor, and the pastor teaches, and you learn, and, you know, you grow, and you mature, and you're being poured into. Don't be surprised when the Lord says, you know what? I want you to teach now. I'm going to use you. Because that's how he works. That's Old Testament, New Testament. That's how he works. Joshua, when he says, you know, I'm with you, you know, I, I, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. Now, a lot of times people look at, you know, Joshua 1 and they're like, wow, this is beautiful. I love this. But they forget about Exodus. They forget about Exodus when all Israel was defiled. The only two that were not Moses and Joshua. Moses made his choice. The ball was in, in his court. He made his choice. The ball was in Joshua's court. He made his choice. And Joshua moved on to perfection. You see? And he learned. He grew. And the Lord tells him in Joshua 1, Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. These kings, they're not going to be able to stand against you. I'm with you. Be strong and courageous. Now, it's not a blanket statement like for everybody. Hey, everybody be strong and courageous. But when you understand formula, you see the choices that Joshua made long ago. And the buildup to get to that point where the Lord says, listen, I'm with you. See, it puts things in proper perspective. Because a lot of times Christians say, oh, I'm going to do the sex. I'm going to do the drugs. I'm going to do the occult. I'm going to do these things. And you know what? I'll be strong and courageous because God is with me. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Do not go to war like that. Do not go to battle like that. Because you go to battle like that, you will lose. But the Bible says be strong and courageous. Yes. But when you understand the formula, there's a reason why he said be strong and courageous. You see? Formula, 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 formula. God is reactionary. When you purpose and desire and choose to live godly in Christ, yes, in verse 12, you will suffer persecution. But the Lord perfects you. The Lord completes you. In verse 17, that the man of God, which is anthropos, which includes women, the man of God and the woman of God may be complete. Thoroughly, thoroughly equipped or fully equipped for every good work. Every good work. I'll say it again. Every good work. See, a lot of times people go into ministry. It's like, wow, you know, well, you know, the Lord wants these prostitutes to be Christians. Why would he want them to burn in hell? So I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. A month later, the guy's a customer. Oh, I'm going to go minister to these, to these, uh, uh druggies. And you know, sh- why would the Lord want these druggies to be, uh, uh, burn in hell? So I'm going to go minister to them. A month later, he's a partaker. You see? Well, I'm going to go to the casino and minister to these people. Well, surely the Lord loves them. A month later, you know, triple whammy. Got the sex, the Buddha, the, you know, the occult. It's it's not to say that the Lord doesn't want these people to be Christians, be it prostitutes, drugs, alcohol. It's not to say that the Lord doesn't want them to be Christians. But there needs to be an equipping. Fully equipped. I mean, if you've ever carried full gear, you're like fully, you ever see like a guy with like full gear? 
There's a lot of stuff there. And that's how we are in Christ. When we grow, when we mature, when we're perfected, when we're complete, fully equipped for every good work, that's when a Christian becomes dangerous, the good dangerous, the kind of, okay, this is the deadly dangerous. That's the good kind where like, you know, we're taking names as warriors in Christ. You know, not speaking about, you know, weapons or warfare are not carnal. Remember the demons with the sons of Siva? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you guys? You see? And they lost. The demon defeated these guys because the formula was wrong. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, Perilous times will come. Kalepos in the Greek. This chasm this chasm that is let down that will be fierce, perilous, dangerous, and that will reduce strength. Now, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you've been walking with us for a while, we have the backdrop of the epistles. Which is beautiful to have the understanding, but it's also heartbreaking. Because... Picture this chasm coming down on Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Picture this chasm coming down on Corinth. How do you think they would fare? Picture the chasm coming down on Galatia. How do you think they'd fare? Picture the chasm coming down on Thessalonica. How do you think they would fare? Not good. It wouldn't be well for them. My beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters, the church today is in major, 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 major trouble. Where are the Pauls? Where are the Timothys? Where are the Chloes? Where are the Priscillas? This is the landscape of the last days. This is the landscape. Verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That in the final state of time, the eschatos, perilous times will come. This chasm will come down. You know, I gave the example, like, what if it came down in Galatia? What if it came down in court? What if it came down in Thessalonica? But it's not coming down. It's already come down. And this is the landscape of the last days. Now, turn with me really quick to 1 Peter chapter 4. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, Verse 17, Brother Peter, beautiful Brother Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. To commence at the house of God. And if it begins with us, remember, this is Peter, Christian to Christians. 
If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? I mean, this is, you know, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, inside the church, danger inside the camp. This is the the landscape of not just the world, not just Corinth, but the church. Under the pseudodelphos, under the false teachers and false prophets. And supposedly, people who have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if this is the case, for people who have the gospel, I haven't, I didn't say obey the gospel and obey the word of God. They have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this question, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? You see, now we get into another subject matter. It's to have the gospel, but what about obedience unto the word of God? In verse 18, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, now the righteous is scarcely saved. Remember the, the warehouse example? A thousand and you know in 10 years, zero, but we cut it down to nine years, so it's 50. Now, if the righteous one, so take the thousand, take the 50 out of that thousand. And if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? This is Peter posing this very hardcore question. Therefore, in verse 19, let those who suffer, which is an absolute, if you're a Christian and you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution. Brother Peter writes in verse 19 in 1 Peter chapter 4, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You see, it's choosing to live righteously before the Lord. You see? And as Paul says to Timothy, but you, in this landscape of the falling away, in this landscape of the false teacher and the false pastors and the false prophets, and in this landscape of the defunct and the hireling, and as Paul says to Timothy, but you, so I say to you, my beloved brother, my beloved sister, but you, most beautiful bride, Let us together lay aside the things which so easily ensnare us and let us move on to perfection, onward to paradise, to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.